So, Jess, are you ready to finally talk about the song Deathbed? Nope. Hello, and welcome to Sadie Hawkins' pod. Uh, it's Yep, it's really just me, Danny, right now. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed last week's April Fool's episode. If you did, well, there wasn't a lot of interaction off of it when we talked about deathbed the bed that eats so i don't know if that means everybody hated it or if people silently appreciated it but uh it is an actual thing that jessica and i want to eventually do is have like a bad movie podcast and it's called cinema cataclysm we've had it we have that idea since before the idea of doing a reliant k podcast so who knows down the line we might do that but this week, we're finally actually doing it, making up for last week if you hated it. We're talking about the song Deathbed for real this time. Uh, and this is sort of a part one. And what we're doing in this episode is, as we've talked about all throughout this podcast, despite the fact that this is an incredibly popular song and it's one of Reliant K's most ambitious songs, and it's definitely worth a lot of discussion... Jessica really does not enjoy this song, and we've talked about it on multiple other episodes, so I'm sure if you've heard those, you're familiar with her basic points, but basically, this song hits a lot of triggers for her, it fills her with anxiety. Uh, We'll talk about it as we get through this special episode this week, but whereas this song might sort of give peace to people who have those same sort of anxieties, they just sort of further trigger Jessica on them, so... I think some of our best moments doing this podcast, which isn't something I expected when we went in, was that sometimes Jessica and I will surprise each other with really interesting ideas about certain Reliant K songs. Like songs that the two of us have known our whole lives uh, and songs that we've talked about since Jessica and I have been friends and then got married. Like songs we've had Reliant K discussions before we decided to put it in podcast form we'll go we'll listen to the songs separately as we prepare for a podcast and we'll make our own notes and then we'll present them to each other live on mic and some of those fun moments are when the other didn't have the same thoughts on the song and it starts to open up further thoughts and open up further discussions and For Deathbed, where Jessica is already going to be sort of shut off and reserved in terms of talking about this in a regular format episode, that would be impossible to expect that. Like, basically, it would just be me throwing my vague ideas about the song at Jessica and her being uncomfortable about it. So the idea was to open it up first to our patrons. We basically said we want to get a bunch of call-in. It's like a call-in show. We're going to have a bunch of people on the show this week to talk about the song Deathbed with me. And then down the line, not next week, but down the line, we'll eventually do a part two of this where we do our standard Sadie Hawkins pod format where Jessica and I will finally talk about the song, the two of us, and we'll look at covers and fan videos and all that stuff. Um, But Jessica Jessica just needs more time to prepare for that. And hopefully also the conversations that I've had with the five people that I'm going to talk to today will also help give me a jump start 
for that eventual episode. So I've already had those moments of surprise talking to these listeners and friends as they surprise me with their ideas about the song. And that opens up other avenues of understanding that I now have for this song. So first we're going to be talking to Sarah, who's actually not a patron. She's not even a listener of the show. Uh, And she's not even really a fan of Reliant K, but she's a friend of mine that said she wanted to do my podcast. And I was like, okay, what, what song do you want to do? And she was like, Deathbed, because I don't listen to Reliant K, and it's the only song of theirs that I love. And I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> it's the only Reliant K song you like. So, yeah, of course, uh, we'll have you on the show. Then we're going to talk to actual listeners of the show. We're going to talk to uh, David Ketch, uh, David Dizon, David Dizon. I got his last name correct in the conversation I had with him. So just wait for that. Uh, then we're going to also talk to Tucker. Uh, we're going to talk to Daniel, uh, Daniel Moraine. You can see my socks. And then finally, we're going to talk to Brady. But first, before we get into that, we have a voicemail from Connor. Hey, Danny and Jess, this is Connor just weighing in with all of my thoughts on Deathbed. Uh, I have a lot of them, and I figured I'd just lay them all out there. But uh, as the two of you have said multiple times on the show, I think that Deathbed really is Reliant K's biggest step towards the masterpiece of Forget and Not Slow Down. Um it's like just this big cohesive story with all the different sections and everything. And I've always thought it's an incredible piece of art. Uh, it isn't a song I listen to very often. So I listened to it for the first time in a few years, just the other day. Um, and as I was listening to it, I just got like whiplashed back in time to 2007. Uh, so when I was a kid, I would just put one of my Reliant K CDs in my CD player and it would just play on infinite repeat until I swapped it out. Um, but five score was the newest one then. So I put it on, um, I had my favorite songs on it, but like, uh, I mean, I loved Forgiven and must have done something right and all of those. Um, but I didn't really listen to it all the way through for a long time. So I remember the first night I heard Deathbed, I was laying in bed just trying to go to sleep when that piano melody first started, and I was immediately like, what's happening? Um, then Thiessen sang that first line and started sending 12-year-old me into an existential crisis, which in all fairness is a pretty common occurrence for me. <laughs> but from that point on, I was just captured by what I was listening to. And the first time I listened to the song, I just remember crying in bed because of how beautiful I thought the whole thing was for little Sunday school educated pastors kid me at the time. I think the way my thoughts on just like the way my beliefs and faith have evolved and my thoughts on heaven and hell and the afterlife and everything have changed since then is probably one of the main reasons I don't listen to this song a ton nowadays. Um, Suffice it to say, this song really has dare to share stuff written all over it in some ways, but that's neither here nor there. And I don't feel like making anyone too angry by getting into that whole debacle. Um, but I remember loving the song so much. And I remember making my parents sit and listen to it all the way through because I loved it. Um, and I started teaching myself the piano part and everything even. Um, and regardless of my beliefs now, I do still think it's a beautiful piece artistically, like from the tonal shifts from verse to verse and Tyson's lyricism throughout the whole thing. Um, like the way the bridge comes in, starting with you cried wolf. And that's the first real metaphorical imagery we get in the whole song while everything else has been so like visceral and brutal in some ways. Um, it's just really good writing. And when John Foreman comes in at the very end to sing, I am the way it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a really good piece. It's just really good. But so I I listened to the live version for the first time 
recently, which I'm still super bitter about because they didn't play it when the Looking for America tour was in Colorado, but then played it like two nights later. Uh, so that sucked. Um, but I thought it was really good that they started the song like right on the first verse instead of the chorus because it makes a lot more sense to do that way live. And as I was listening to Tyson sing the song that I loved so much when I was younger, I just found myself crying again, like I did when I was a kid. Um, there was just so much like sentimental, like, and it's just such. It's like, it's it's like that song that everyone wants to hear Reliant K play live, even if they don't necessarily listen to it all the time. I don't know, but uh, there's so many wonderful like pieces of that live performance especially including Tyson like actually singing the plead the fifth vocal part during that instrumental build before the I'm the way part um and you can even hear the exact moment that John Foreman walks out on stage because the crowd absolutely loses it uh yeah it's there's a lot of cool stuff in that live performance too um but yeah I think Deathbed is a great song that I don't listen to very much and probably still won't because I'm not really on the same page with it anymore uh but yeah um good stuff Glad we got around to this one. I uh, love the show. Keep up the great work. And I'll call in again soon. Bye. So thanks very much, Connor, for that voicemail and your thoughts on the song. And with no further ado, let's get... Oop, I hit the microphone. This is what happens when it's just me sitting here at the microphone by myself and no one else. I end up hitting the microphone. Let's get into the episode. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Good. Can you see me on video? Do you not need video? Okay. I'm not going to do video. Okay. Then I'm not going to do video either. (laughs) Cool. So I don't fully know what the, this format's going to be because you're the first experiment with this, but basically, you know, I, I expect to have in the end, like hopefully an hour and a half worth of, you know, just me talking to different, uh, Reliant K fans or in your case, just, fans of this song and just getting a vibe for you know what they you know basically just tell their story and their interpretations with the song so I don't a hundred percent know what the final episode is going to be like in terms of like you know if there's a uniform set of questions I should ask I'm going into Mm. this discussion with you kind of like openly and extemporaneously so we'll just kind of see how it works and this might just kind of like um like uh be the proto version of of later discussions that I have with other people in the mm. final episode. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So basically, um, I guess we're started, but basically <laughs> Jessica doesn't re- like this song. It's just too much for her. Like in terms of like being, you know, the, the drama of it and like the death, the very specific like death confrontation imagery and all that stuff. She, it's just too much and she doesn't like it but obviously it's a very well beloved song. It's what they close every concert with. So really? uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> it's oh their- my God. You didn't know that? Yeah. <laughs> that is so on the fucking nose. <laughs> it That's is great. It's, yeah. So, so the idea was she and I are going to do a regular episode of our show, knowing that it's going to be a lot of her just complaining about the song. Like we'll right. go through our regular paces of what we do in a normal episode, but knowing that she's just not, she's going to be like partially shut down. So then I was like, okay, we need some other viewpoints on the song then. So that's why I got this idea to have 
uh, different listeners of our podcast or, you know, just people who like the song. And so, um, yeah, so I guess, so everyone knows we're talking to Sarah. Uh, mm-hmm. Did I pronounce that right? I know yep. we've been, okay, we've met once in real life, but I'm, it's S-E-R-A. And so yes. I tend to say Sarah sometimes, but it's Sarah. It's, it's either. Um, okay. So, um, yeah, so we met, uh, like a bunch of people, I <laughs> know we met because of the Blink-55 community and, um, the, uh, you know, the Twitter verse around that and everything. And then, and we've had conversations about different things and I can't remember, was it you who said, you know, it was you, you said, you let me know, like when we do our deathbed episode, you wanted to be a part of it. Cause mm-hmm. you have history with the song. And then you informed me that you're not actually like a Reliant K fan per se. Not really. No. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. I don't really, yeah. It's one of those things that you just, you don't know. Uh, you, you hear a couple of songs randomly, but you don't like ever look into it. Right. So how did you, so then how did you learn about deathbed the song? So I was given a bunch of music from a cousin. I'm not Christian. My, <laughs> my family isn't Christian. Um, we have no religious or spiritual beliefs. Um, but my extended family is quite Christian. And uh, so I learned about a lot of Christian music from them. And I got a, uh, as well as some close friends from school. Um, and I got a bunch of songs from a cousin of mine of just like random things that he liked. And it was alongside stuff like corn. And okay. like like Limp Biscuit and stuff, but then in there was this like classic this like bands. eleven minute like really weird story song that right. I gave like way like I loved this fucking song so much when I was like eleven years old, um, right. for obvious reasons because like you know when you're eleven you just love songs that are about stuff and mm-hmm. you can like you love songs that you can just figure out what it means you know yeah. And I got like obsessed with it and like, I still listened, like I was, I was like really happy to be listening to it earlier when I re-listened to it. Cause I just remembered all the like weird little details of it. Right. Um, I, I was pretty dismayed to find out that it wasn't a true story. I don't know where I got it in my head oh. that he was like singing about his grandfather or his father or something, but oh, okay. like, like it, it's a totally fabricated story. <laughs> Right. Which I guess is more of a Christian rock thing to just like tell a tale, you know? Yeah. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, I guess that's like the, like the Christmas shoes story. Oh, that's not really a rock song, but it's a Christian song. <laughs> that's not, I, yeah. I don't think that's based on a true story. I guess like the Jeremy Camp thing that happened, you know, with his wife and that song and that movie that they came out with where his wife mm-hmm. died of cancer. I'm just thinking of like Christian story songs. I guess that's a pretty true story. That's like became a milestone recently for Christian music. But yeah, I guess that is a pretty common thing to have like Christian, like parables basically. Right. Like what's more. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Um, I, f- I feel like, I feel like in regular, like, I don't know what genre relying. I always call them a Christian pop punk band, but I don't know if like, cause the only other songs I know by them are like pop punk songs. Right. Um, but, like, I, I know it's generally just not as cool with, like, non-Christian music to just, like, tell a story, you know, from start to finish, like, clearly and coherently. Like, it right. kind of reminds me of when I was a little kid um, and my family was, like, flirting with some Christian stuff. And mainly we just lived in a very, like, 
Christian town, I went to like a daycare for a, a little while. And while I was there, they would always like crack down on me, like pretending uh-huh. or playing like make believe because it was like not the truth oh, or whatever. Weird. That's like, weird. Was, I, I, I don't know if that's like a common experience, but I remember like right. we would like run like to get exercise or whatever. And I told one of the teachers that I was like pretending I was a car and like racing around a track. (laughs) And they were like, you're not a car. You are a person running. And they like would correct me on that all the time. That's bizarre. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Maybe that's that's a certain, because like we, it comes up with us on this podcast once in a while, but that could just be a certain like uh, sect of Christianity maybe has that weird viewpoint. Cause I mean, like, one of the biggest Christian things in the world is vegetables talking. Like those aren't real. Yeah. So oh I, that, my God. Yeah, you that's, know what I mean? That's a, such a weird thing that I'm like <laughs> just on the outskirts of with the whole Christian thing. Cause like at home, I just watch whatever cartoons were on TV, you know, but like when I go over to my cousins in Southern Oregon, uh, I live in Oregon, mm-hmm. um, you know, they'd always like have to watch stuff like that. And it was, fine i actually do think veggie tales is pretty fucking funny yeah and very entertaining um but like it was just such an alien world to me you right know? yeah we had our whole uh relying k has two veggie tales related songs because they did oh a, fuck yeah <laughs> they did a cover of the pirates who don't do anything which is like yeah the most popular song out of veggie tales they did a I cover I, that. i've probably heard that yeah it's on the it's on both the movie soundtracks because the the pirates who don't do anything are their big characters and so they're right. they they put their reliant k cover in both of those and then the veggie tales themselves covered one reliant k song so we already did both those episodes oh, and that's and amazing Je- and jessica had never really watched veggie tales but i mm-hmm. had and i watched it i was like too i mean technically from an outsider's point of view and i don't mean like outside of christianity i mean like anyone older than me watching me who was like 18 19 at the time watching veggie tales would think that probably that was weird but the thing was about <laughs> veggie tales and we touched on this in our episodes was they were like they sincerely they were more like the christian muppets in that like they had a genuine sense of humor like everyone thinks of the muppets yeah. as, as a kid's property but when you look at all the muppet stuff especially with jim henson's like weird slight he, he wasn't perverted but he had like a real genuine like understanding of humanity and and didn't shy away from you know certain themes and adult themes and stuff that he could gently put into the muppets you know and 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 it it would be there like things that are slightly more adult so it was kind of there with the veggie tales where some of the jokes in like a veggie tales thing they're not even pg they're g rated but they're still like way above what you think of as like an over clean other christian property like there was a certain comedic irreverence in yeah. the veggie tales that like adults and non you know and non-christian audiences could understand and it wasn't like also the most christian thing because one controversy was nbc eventually aired the show on saturday mornings and they just cut out the little snippets of like things that made it extra christian right yeah so um, anyway, oh, we got on that because, <laughs> sorry, I went on the whole tangent, but we no, got on fine. that because you went to that church who, who, oh, by the way, sorry, there's construction going on upstairs. I for, forgot to mention that in the episode, <laughs> but if anyone hears all that banging, someone, someone moved out above us. So another. Oh, same. Before. Yeah. It That's was exactly awesome. what's happening to me. That's why I, oh, I, I okay. usually record these on the balcony. <laughs> right. But there's like, 
a bunch of people upstairs. Uh, I assumed it was the neighbors, but it might actually be the people remodeling. Right. It's been a nice uh, vacation for us because the people above us are on the same pipes. So if we all shower or, or, you know, if one, if one of us showers while the other is washing dishes, it makes showering a horrible experience. Right. So, so like now it's like, Oh, we got, we got all the hot water. <laughs> for our two apartments and all this stuff until someone else moves in. But now we traded that out for the banging and the dog going crazy because she hears people walking around outside all day. Mm. Um, anyway, so yeah, so that was, so that is strange. I don't know what uh, denomination that church you might've gone to. It might, <laughs> it's like, it's a, it might've just been like that one person's like specific right. read of yeah. like something, but just like they didn't, it was fine to pretend when we were in playtime, but I guess the idea that was that it was supposed to be like reverential running or something. Maybe. I don't know. That was four. I can't well, remember what that, tri- that, that is a Bible verse. That's like, and I don't know it. I don't really know a word for word, but it's like when I was a child, I had childish things. And when I'm an adult, I put childish things away. It's like, you're still a kid, but it's like playtime. You had childish things, but now we're inside in the church again. So you put those childish things away and you're saying this to a five-year-old or something. It's like, yeah, exactly. Be a kid whenever they want. Yeah. I mean, I did it anyway. That was like one of the first times I learned to just ignore authority. Yeah. It was just to like, you know, I just was like, okay, lady. And then just like pretended I was a car anyway. <laughs> right. But, but yeah, that was, um, that was my sort of introduction into deathbed. Uh, I still think it's pretty good. Um, yeah. It's a, like, I kind of agree with your wife in that it's a little much because there's, it, there's so much going on. Right. And it's, it's knowing that it, a lot of the justifications I had of it was the mis- misunderstanding that it was a true story and like learning that it's not a true story makes some of it like a little tropey and kind of like, Oh man, this is really like a TV episode set to a song. Right. But like, but it's still really good. And I, I fucking like still end up like getting super, not, I wouldn't say emotional, but just like nostalgic when it gets to the like Godspeed you black emperor part at the end, right. like the big ascension or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I agree with Jessica as well in that, like it is a little much to confront. I mean, I, I understand why, cause it's not even necessarily a Christian specific thing to, confront the idea of death this directly to be like writing about the moment someone dies in work. I mean, like yeah. every, every Metallica song is basically about that. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. So yeah. it's, it's not a Christian specific thing, but I am so familiar with from different churches that I went to. And um, part of my background is like, I went to a number of different denominations throughout like my mm. teen years, but they were all, I mean, my experience was always, it was like, not to say liberal, but slightly more, slightly less like staunch conservative churches that I went to. So like, I never mm. felt stifled by like, you know, in, in different churches that I went to by like, you know, uh, really strict Christian thought or really strict thoughts on media or imagination or whatever. So, mm-hmm. um, so what was my point about that? Oh, so like, uh, just to, to, so I'm familiar with the ideas in a song like this where, you know, they're, they're, they're presenting this idea that like he got married, but he wasn't happy because marriage isn't marriage won't make you happy. Only God will make you happy. Like I've seen so we just talked about that last on our latest episode uh, that we recorded for this week is like, it's a common Christian thing to be like, whatever you think of as 
love in like the real world sense of like humans and people like that's not love god is love so there is some of that in here where you know he gets yeah. married but it's like a it's a shotgun wedding and he doesn't really feel anything for her and you know he gets drunk and she's telling lies about you know what he went off no that's that's his parents <laughs> so <it's> just, <laughs> so yeah there's a cycle in the story but um yeah and oh so to, to confront the idea of like death directly and then to be talking about like you're 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 going to heaven and death is going home like i'm very familiar with that idea that's definitely something different denominations i went to they all yeah. talk about it so. is worth noting that it's quite it, it does sneak in the uh it doesn't name drop jesus until the third verse right or so so it's it's really sneaking you in there you know like it's like giving you all the hardships and then like oh here's the solution guys right get some some of that fucking faith right so since you don't since you don't have like a a particularly christian background well you don't have a christian background what do you think of when basically what everyone interpret oh, they're getting so loud now <laughs> um <laughs> What, what what do you what did you think of especially with little context to who Reliant K was and maybe to who Switchfoot was? How do you feel about that last section where the singer of Switchfoot, John Foreman, shows up basically, which a lot of people interpret as God Himself welcoming? <laughs> I mean, I, I actually I shouldn't have said that because I should have let you in, I should let you interpret that. But what do you think of when John Foreman from Switchfoot shows up with the, his lines? I truly didn't even know that was a different person. Um, oh really yeah i just like because like you know, like unless i get super invested in a band and like or they're just a band that has a very um like distinct vocal style i most voices tend to blend together for me right um and like i did i didn't know that was the switchfoot guy that's hilarious that people okay. interpret that as god has entered the chat like <laughs> right that that switchfoot guy is therefore the voice of god right. uh, which i i love but that's cool i really liked that part though i liked it was kind of one of the first times i remember hearing a song with like that doesn't end where it started you know okay like that's a very natural way to do a long song is to bring it back right at the end but it kind of goes off into a different thing musically right um i'm notorious for completely ignoring lyrics um like I did follow the lyrics of this song because it is a story song and it's also not very um, obscured, mm-hmm. I guess. But by that point I wasn't listening. <laughs> like if that makes sense. Like, okay. so that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know what it would mean per se. I can't even really remember that part. Cause I definitely, it took me a few times to get all the way there. Right. Like li- when I was like a kid listening to it, mm-hmm. um, because I'd get bored and want to listen to like Wonderwall instead, which was also on that playlist. Right. Um, okay. That's yeah. the, That's where he says that it's the last lines of the the last lyrics of the song where he says, "I am the way, follow me, and take my hand. I am the mm-hmm. truth." There's a. I recently so I was listening to. I have reason to believe that that section might have been like added after they finished the album, like they might've thought Mm. we need more on this because I recently heard that. Okay. How am I saying this? So Ethan Luck, who became the drummer of the band later was Mm -hmm. not the drummer on this album, but he drums specifically in the last section of this song because 
they apparently left the studio and went on tour and realized they needed to add more to this song. Mm. So then they called up Ethan Luck, who just coincidentally would be the drummer of the band later, and said, hey, we need to get some people in the studio because we're on tour. We can't get in there. Can you get in there and record the drums? And I guess they somehow recorded these parts on the road with other people. So I need to get more specific. I just heard him say this, right? I heard Ethan Luck, who would be the future drummer, say that I went into the studio to help them finish the end of the song Deathbed. And like, wait, does that mean that that whole section with the guy with John Foreman from Switchfoot was like added later? Like, did they realize that later, like there's no specific moment of him dying and being welcomed by the Lord or whatever, how it's interpreted. So apparently mm-hmm. that was whole, like that was, might have been tacked on later. Oh yeah. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> I never even thought, like, it's such a clean production that I never even thought about the, like what it must've been like to put this together. Right. Um, is like are there other like heavy piano led Reliant K songs like this, or is this just like a kind of an anomaly? Um, well, I'd have to think about it now because I don't know about piano led, but this was a point in their career where they became a five piece because mm. they specific- oh right yeah they specifically wanted Matt Thiessen to be able to play a lot of piano on songs, but I can't right now think of other songs that are like piano led. Like yeah. they, they were doing a lot of piano at this point. And I never knew about this until we started doing this podcast. But um, a lot of people compare this era of the band to Jack's Mannequin, which is like mm. the big side project of the guy from Something Corporate. So I see. Yeah. So people were like, oh, this, you know, this era of Reliant K just sounds like the guy from Something Corporate. Well, then I found out later that Matt Thiessen and that guy from Something Corporate like works together on that Jack's Mannequin album. So it kind of makes sense that like this is a thing he was doing with that, with the Jack's Mannequin guy, and he was doing more piano stuff for Reliant K. So this was a basically a thing that was happening with the band. But then this is like their big like yeah, it's their big complex song with a lot of piano and all this stuff. And it's I just don't know if there's any other piano led specific song. There's a lot of piano covers on YouTube. I imagine. <laughs> So but yeah, uh, it's it's definitely interesting. Uh, it stood out to me at the time. I really like the chorus a lot. I think the chorus is really strong. And I like that they play it a few different ways too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very, yeah, there's so many different, it's not, it's, I, I never thought about it the way you said that, but I'll remember that as like how it doesn't end where it begins. Because so many mm-hmm. other pop songs, there's just like, it's just a, pop songs are just circles. They just keep going around and repeating the same parts. Like only another song I can think of that doesn't do that is like Paranoid Android by, mm, yeah. <laughs> by uh, Radiohead. Like how that was at the time. Like there's no repeating verses or choruses in this entire song and it's on the radio. That's amazing. It's like, I guess, I guess it's amazing. <laughs> but like try stretching Paranoid Android out to 11 minutes and making it and make, super and emotional. And making it about God. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's it's basically like, Oh, like it's, I think part of it feels a little cheesy too. I think with the, uh, how it starts off um, in sort of this kind of like, it's got like a heavy swing to it. So it almost feels like it's trying to be like, like music that would accompany this guy throughout his life or something. If he was right. born in like the forties or whatever, yeah. um, like every it's time got this kind of swing to it in this like 
there's a few different like instrumental shifts. Like there's a part where accordion and some like mandolin comes in or something. Right. Like, and then there's like an electric drum beat when things start to slow down. He's getting ready oh, to die. Oh God, I forgot. There's like a, like a <laughs> yeah, there's like a Lincoln Park drum beat as he's right. like accepting death. And I'm like, that's great. Yeah. Yeah, there I is like, so much. That's that's another reason why I got to do the pod, the episode this way is because there's so much going on in the song. It's like, I forget to mention little things in short songs. Like, oh, I forgot to talk about that chorus. Oh, I forgot to talk about that you know, breakdown or something that's in a song. And I'm like, there's no way I can hit on every single movement in this song without having multiple conversations about it. Right. So um, I was trying to, so yeah, so it's funny that you thought it was a true story. I also learned recently that um, he was basically the impetus for this song was he was going to write it about himself and like sort of, I guess, what's the word? Not pontificate. That's kind of a negative thing, but basically like, think about like reflect through a song on what it'll be like to die and it was Mm going to be from his own point of view but then he realized i guess in the end like that seemed a little too dramatic or that seemed a little too it it didn't make sense because he is technically alive you know when he's writing the song so he made it from the point of view of a fictional character and then um there's been all this talk about they've tried to make like more things about this particular guy like oh they, no. they, they want to make a movie or they wanted to do like other projects like on this story and yeah i've never really until this podcast i never spent a lot of time with this song i probably heard it a handful of times from the time i you know this i've listened to reliant k forever so i this album came out and we this was one of the first albums i didn't buy right when it came out not because i didn't want to but because i was really busy in life so i kind of like downloaded the songs i wanted and things like that so i never like spent a lot of time with this song at the time so i'm spending more time with it now and my thing about it is like his life story isn't that impressive to me overall yeah like the the like i the 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 nice beautiful part is you know the him coming to reconcile the mistakes he made in his life and everything but the mistakes that are detailed out in his life aren't like they're not specific enough as a story like they're all they are kind of cliche like he gets married but he doesn't really love his wife and he gets drunk and he smokes too many cigarettes and he gets lung cancer like that seems like a very cliche story it's the last half of the song that gets very um emotional and you know very specific to what i think reliant k is capable of but that whole build up to it yeah it's like it's it's a very and this is like a weird complex issue with like christian art is that like you it's really hard to explore the darkness that might that someone might actually be running from when they run towards the light you know Right, right like this is about as dark as you can make a christian thing and have them still accept it you know right yeah like uh and that's really sad you know because it could be like there's so many more things that could happen to a, bad things that could happen to a person throughout their life than like becoming an alcoholic uh and divorcing your wife right you know yeah and maybe those details are in the expanded story which they've yet to do <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> I, I can't wait to t- talk about his like um i don't even want to make a joke <laughs> right right dark. right like, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. I know. Like, they, it would make it totally unpalatable <laughs> to like really talk about some serious. It would problems be like it would turn into like the 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 Christian Mountain Goats album that I can't remember <laughs> the name of. Oh, okay, it's, it's just like super fucking like it's about like you know oh. 
recovery, but it's also super fucking dark. Right. Um, and then and that, like, yeah. And it, like in the true darkness, like talking about being like a, a drug addict, like riding in a van and sleeping in abandoned churches and shit, like, right. and all and, this fucking shit. Yeah. And I'm thinking now it would be like a later Page of the Lion album because those albums get super, super dark, especially as he like lost his face and stuff. And like some of them are mm. just like, he, I've, some of his, some of the later Page of the Lion albums, I'm like, this isn't fun. Because <laughs> he's yeah. like, it's so dark and like uh, control is like super sexual. And it's like, this, this isn't okay. But like, yeah. I, I've, and it's not even like, I'm not even talking about from like a, puritanical christian point of view where i'm sure oh, no, yeah, people sure. got really upset but it's more like like i'm just not having fun listening to these songs yeah like maybe you aren't the guy to do this right. you know like yeah. uh so- it's it's really hard because i i feel like on one hand if reliant k did do a really dark actually serious song about like someone's life being truly fucked up right it would be like almost like laughably funny because it is the sadie hawkins dance band right you know yeah so i think this is maybe the most appropriate thing they could have done yeah and they had a period ryan k had a period where they got a little bit they attempted to go a little bit more mainstream there's an Mm. album called collapsible lung that's like it's more worldly secular there's like he's he there's like you know, songs about sexual attraction on there. Whoa. And stuff. So like basically when they were trying to be like Maroon 5 type of band or something like that, and it's just this one album. And we have whole long discussions about this. It's hard to just, it's hard for me to just give you the short version of it. But yeah, they they did do something like what you're talking about, but they did it in the more like fun, like talking about how your your girlfriend looks hot tonight sort of songs than (laughs) of going like dark and like this person had really fucked up stuff happen or something. That's smart, I think. I think that's that's the way you should go about it because that stuff's a lot easier to uh, reconcile, I think. Right. Like I'm sure, and we've seen a lot of fans who've got, cause they use the word sexy in one song. And like, it, it was like when a Christian band drops the F-bomb or something or MXPX mm-hmm. said, God damn. And like people lose their minds, but you know, only a certain section <laughs> so of funny. people, a certain section of people lose their minds. And I'm like, well, Reliant K said the word sexy and a lot of fans got really upset. And it's like, it's not even, it's not even a swear. <laughs> it's like a real no. word. Yeah. Like it's, Truly, I don't even think that's like a like a a word that you can't say in like a cartoon. Like I feel right. like I I feel like I I've heard that just like said in very like just child friendly places, right? You know, because it's just a it's just a very abstract concept, right? You know, yeah. And it's it's funny that they just lose their mind. Like I like at the time I was like listening to Corn as well, you know, and then <laughs> they like talk about way darker fucking evil shit right you know yeah like could, could you imagine an alternate universe where like deathbed is like a corn song and it's just like about <laughs> sexual abuse right yeah like because like every early corn song is just about like right jonathan davis's sexual abuse trauma right yeah that would be <laughs> no i don't really want to imagine that alternate world <laughs> But just like instead of like aggro, like slightly hip hop inspired metal, it's just like a jaunty piano tune, right? Oh, okay. Oh, you're saying if Corn was if, the jaunty, j- slightly jazzy, not if Reliant K was. No, it's just like if Reliant K like stayed the same musically, but like 
wrote about the topics that corn does. Right. <laughs> That'd be fucking weird. That would blow a lot of people's minds. <laughs> so did you have any, uh, I think we covered it pretty well. Do you have any final thoughts about Deathbed or Reliant K? Are you looking to get into more Reliant K? Can I recommend anything to you? I mean, you can always recommend stuff to me. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it, if I'll like it. Right. Uh, they seem like they might like be one of those like pop punk bands that like really just kind of considers themselves a rock band. So you might like catch like a, a, a stray like blues lick or something in there. Right. And that's, that sort of stuff grosses me out, but, oh, okay. uh, but well, I mean, I'd be willing to check it out. I've, I definitely like the like weird look of their earlier album covers and stuff. Oh yeah. Um, I'm just thinking like, instead of trying to like, you might be the one person that I say, for real, go check out Collapsible Lung is the name of the album. <laughs> that's their like pop album. That's like the, that's what everyone assumes is like them trying to get onto like top 40 radio. It's very different musically from anything else that they did. Like everything else, yeah, it's pop rock. They have certain albums that are more pop punk and albums that are more pop rock. And so like based on someone's preferences, I'll say which of those previous albums they should go listen to. But I'm I'm almost wanting you to listen to Collapsible Lung because it is essentially their weirdest album. It's like their most mainstream attempt at something. So I'd like to know what you think of that, especially I, since death, since Deathbed is your favorite song of theirs. Yeah, um, I definitely will. Uh, I'd love to hear them just try to like be Maroon Five or whatever. Right. Like, <laughs> I kind of think that's what like every pop punk band is doing right now. Is, yeah, because uh, that's kind of where Fall Out Boy is too. Right. Yeah. And I learned that like a day to remember did a song with marshmallow and it's like, it's like all dancey and bright and happy. And that's fucked up. And it's like, but like they're a hardcore, well, I mean, they're like a pseudo hardcore band and they've got like an electric and they play it live apparently, even if the marshmallow guy isn't around or anything, they just play it on mm. their own. I'm like, what is like, that's so bizarre. <laughs> that that is very strange because it's almost like you could you could say if you're a pop punk band you just take the like punk part out and now you're a pop band and you do a couple pop songs but if you're like a pop metal you know if you're a pop metalcore band it's so much stranger to do that to me to do that sort of thing yeah totally i guess that's like a, another thing that's happening a lot too like i feel like i keep hearing about sort of alternative press type bands like doing like trap songs now okay and shit yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it's that's definitely interesting. Uh, yeah. I'm probably gonna just go listen to more. Like I'm gonna try to find the other songs from that playlist too. Oh, okay. There was uh, there was other Christian stuff on there too, like like Thousand Foot Crutch and shit, like mm-hmm. some real like like bad Christian new metal. Uh, okay. So I'm into that. <laughs> cool. I would love to know whatever songs were on there. I can share them with everyone. And uh, yeah, I've come across different like CDRs that I made that like some were like specifically Christian because I could safely take them on like a youth group trip or something. And oh yeah, for sure. If, if the pastor grilled me on what I had in my CD player, I'm like, no, it's all Christian. This is all Christian music. <laughs> yeah. So um, oh yeah, yeah. So well, thanks so much for uh, sharing all your insights on this song, all your thoughts on this song. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool, thanks. It's your typical spiel. Yeah, if life was a highway, I was drunk at the wheel. So uh, next we're joined, well, next, I don't even know what order I'm going to edit these into, but here we are with David Ketch, 
And I guess we always say David Ketch, but that's not your last name. It's like your internet name. Yeah. Yeah, so we just, I mean, we got locked into calling you David Ketch because that was your internet name when you first started interacting with us. But it's it's Dizon or yep. Dizon? You, yeah. You actually got it right the first oh, okay. time. Okay. <laughs> Good. A lot of people get it right the first time, so. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, so like anyone, yeah, whatever internet name we lock into when we first start talking to someone, that's going to be their name for a while. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that's still what we call you. But, uh yeah, so we're having so you're on Patreon and stuff, and you've been interacting with us from pretty much by the from the beginning of the podcast. So um, it yeah, seemed since, uh, like the forget and not slow down episode. Oh yeah, that's very early. Okay, because that was still when we were doing like the first tracks on different albums. So that's that that yeah. was like that was in the first two months. Yeah, cool. So um, so I guess before we get into deathbed, like tell us about your history with Reliant K. You've told us a few things. You leave us voicemails. But just remind us your history of like getting into Reliant K and then maybe leading up to when you first heard this song. So it that's actually uh, pretty interesting to me still how mm-hmm. I got into Reliant, Reliant K because my friends always used to play it in the car when I would ride with them. And I was like, who is this? And they're like, it's Reliant K. But I, I never really had interest in them when I was riding in the car with them. And so, you know how on Spotify it has, like, new music or whatever, mm-hmm. like a playlist every Friday? Right. And I was just playing that playlist once, and I think it was Sahara. And and I heard that song, and I was like, what album is this on? I want to listen to it. And then it was Forget and Not Slow Down. That's why Forget and Not Slow Down is my favorite album. Uh, okay. And so that song has been on my gym playlist since I first heard it, like, three years ago. I just listened to that album because I really liked that album. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I saw you post something on your MXPX memes stories on Instagram. Uh-huh. And you said you were doing a podcast with your wife, which is Jess. I I checked it out and I was like, okay, cool. I was like, this is pretty, pretty cute. The, a couple doing a Reliant K podcast <laughs> with each other. Nice. And so I, I got into it. And then I just listened to um, every episode before that episode and then mm-hmm. after that episode. Okay. And uh, here we are. So you, so you really, so wait, so I, maybe I knew this, but you weren't listening to like too much Reliant K until around the time you started listening to our podcast? Yeah. Or you, okay. So it was, it was Just Forget and Not Slow Down and K is for Karaoke. Oh, okay. Those were the only two albums. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I think I did know that, but I've forgotten. There's too many people and too much information and stories that I've heard. So, and I forgot to mention there's construction going on upstairs still. So that's going to be like a theme probably because that was in another interview we already did for this. Oh. Um, so, I, mean, I can't hear it. So. Oh, okay, good, good. Um, so what are your thoughts then on Deathbed? Like when did you first hear it? If, did you hear that recently? Uh no, actually, I was driving. I was riding in the car with my brother. Okay. And we, I, I played um, Devastation and Reform. Mm-hmm. And he was like, "Hey, is this Five Score?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then he's like, "Play Deathbed." And so I played it, and that was the first time I heard it. And I was okay. like, "All right, I don't really, I'm not really yeah. into it." <laughs> um, but um, getting prepared for this, I guess, interview. Uh huh. Uh, I I listened to it on my lunch break and on the way home, and it wasn't until then that I really really appre- started to appreciate okay. the song. 
Okay. So you don't have, and this is perfectly fine because I don't have that deep a thing with it either, but you haven't had like a deep relationship to this song like some other people have had, or you, I mean, you're kind of just getting into it. Is that well, accurate to say? Once I started realizing what the song was really about, I was like, this is pretty deep. I really, okay. really like this song. So what do you, what do you feel like the song is about and like what kind of thoughts have you had listening so, to it? My thoughts about the song is that it's about a guy growing up and just making a poor decision after poor decision um, in life and like the part where he's he mentions I like when he gets married but he doesn't feel loved mm-hmm. and then they split I really I actually really appreciate that analogy that he uses okay. the bowling analogy right um, and so like think even thinking about that like he says it's a 7-10 split thinking about what a seven ten split is you hit seven pins and then there's three left oh, and then yeah. after he says that he says my wife left with the kids and i i would imagine that the three pins left were mm-hmm. his wife and his kids right and i was like huh that's pretty cool yeah that is a that, that, that is a very good i didn't realize that that's cool yeah because like a seven ten split aren't like the pins are like as far away as they could be. So maybe there's also an analogy in there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, cool. That's a, that's a perspective I haven't thought of before. <laughs> that's neat. Um, yeah. Uh, so, um, did you have any other, did, did you have any other good, <laughs> like, uh, analysis of the lyrics? Cause that's one I hadn't heard before. I don't know if that's, I haven't, you know what I haven't done? I haven't gone into like genius or anything like that. And like, look closely at those kind of analysis of, uh, the song and the lyrics i've just basically listened to it over and over and just gotten my own ideas on things and uh but that was not one i never thought of there being additional like metaphors and stuff like that in there so did you have any other things you noticed about it uh not really no. I, I, I thought that <laughs> but that's was a pretty good one that's a pretty good one another thing i love about the the song is the resolve like like he's about he's on his deathbed he's about to die and like he cries out to jesus and you know jesus is talking to him at this point mm-hmm. he realizes throughout all his mistakes and throughout all the decisions that he's made all the poor decisions that he's made like he was loved he, jesus still loved him right throughout all those things yeah yeah i was um what did you what do you think of them picking john foreman as the voice of uh, god at the end i mean that seems to be what it is that's like the yeah. thing that everyone assumes yeah um do you had you like switchfoot at all do you listen to them because i can yeah. Imp- yeah. actually i actually so this is a side note this uh anecdote i used to uh work at a radio station in the philippines when i used to work out there okay and i got to actually meet switchfoot oh nice and um john foreman is actually pretty pretty chill dude i liked him when he, he was pretty he's pretty chill when i met him mm-hmm. um but i think i i don't i don't know why they chose them i mean right. he has a good voice right but and it always seemed like the ties between relying k and switchfoot were pretty strong but they had never really had a collaboration that obvious before you know what i mean right. like in terms yeah. of like actually having him on a song and I, there must be some matt Thiessen song on Sw- that switch there must be some switchfoot song that matt Thiessen's in that i don't know about because my thing with switchfoot is like i definitely like them and i've seen them a bunch of times at festivals and opening for or not opening but like 
gone to shows that they're at that they play at because there's other bands I want to see but like I mean I'm on equal footing with Switchfoot as I am with Jimmy Eat World where it's like oh I like both bands I'll listen to both of them but I don't like uh think about them all the time or think to go listen to them or or know all their songs or albums back to back so uh yeah yeah for sure uh yeah like Switchfoot isn't really a band that I I listen to as much either right yeah it's, it's almost from doing this podcast. I've had to listen to more of it, because, more of them because uh, more than just the hits, because, um, you know, I'm like, well, Switchfoot's so tied to Relying K. I feel like I have to know stuff like that. I've been listening to more Goatee Records releases as well, trying to get a his- sense of the history of their whole thing. So um, I guess I'll also ask you, like, uh, how's your 2020 going with like COVID and with, <laughs> with pandemic and stuff? Because especially like um, nowadays, I, I I feel like some of the stuff that's going on this year for ever, for a lot of people for the world, maybe this song is speaking more specifically to those things. Like the meaning kind of transforms a little bit. Although I haven't delved that deeply into seeing if people have said that, but I'm just curious, like how your pandemic has been going. I mean, it's I've, I've been going to work every okay. day. It's like it's just a normal year to me. Yeah. I haven't really had a quarantine because of work. Okay. So. Yeah. Do you have to work with a lot of people? Not really. Okay. There's only like five of us in the warehouse. Oh, okay. That's good. Yeah. I mean, my, everything was pretty much the same for me, except like I work from home now, but everything else is, you know, I just don't commute or anything. Some, uh, Josh on Twitter to the other day, he said, like, can Reliant K play this song live anymore since, you know, it's it doesn't seem like a song that kind of, and this is something that Jessica's, or at least not close every show with it. This is something, you know, Jessica's always felt like it's like too, it's too much for her to, to confront like some of the themes that are so heavy in this song. But now you've got a song that's specifically about a guy with a lung related disease. He gets lung cancer because he's yeah. smoked too much in his life. And yeah. that's what COVID is about. So I just, that came to mind recently. It, it, what do you, how do you, what, how do you enjoy, I guess one question I got to ask is like, and I want to know this from a lot of people is like, in what way do you enjoy Deathbed? Do you like just, is it just a song that you like put on and kind of like zone out and, and listen to, or is it like a song you kind of put on in the background? Because like when I first heard Deathbed and I, I was probably, this might be like what the, um, the producer, and I can't remember his name now, but the producer, the guy who did most of five score, who, who isn't Mark Lee Townsend and how he was like, I don't know what to do with this song. I don't know what to do with this Deathbed song. Like you'll have to get Mark Lee Townsend to help you with it. I can almost understand in some ways. Cause like death, it's like such a big operatic crazy song. It's like, you don't dance to this song, you know, you don't like put it on in the car or do you, you don't put it on the car and like, like sing along really loud on a car trip or whatever. And, but I'm wondering like, are there people that do that? Like aside from just experiencing the story and the ideas and the themes presented, like, is there a way to, how does, how do people experience this song? Like in what social context or personal context? And is there like, how do you listen to it? Do you just put it on when you're alone or? Well, personally, I don't really go out of my own way to put it on. Right. Like if I'm listening to five score and it comes on, I'm gonna be like, oh, okay, I'll jam okay. out. Yeah. But I don't, it's not like one of my favorites. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's good to have a point. Of, well, that's pretty much, I was going to say it's good to have a point of view. That's like half Jessica's and half mine, but actually like, yeah, I, I don't, I like this song. I do like this song a lot. And I like the fact that it's long and I like the fact that it's like 
big and it's something that they reached for for this like new kind of goal and what could be a Reliant K song. But at the same time, I'm not, it's not like a song I go out of my way to listen to. It doesn't like make me cry or anything like some other people do, you know, it, it, it never affected me in right. a big way. Um, I mean, I definitely, have you ever seen Reliant K live? I have not. Okay. I really want to, but yeah. I Cause I, 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 um, I, I don't know if I, I definitely saw it because they closed the Switchfoot tour in 2016 with it. Just like they always do. But I never, like, that was the first time I really noticed that they were playing it live. Like, if they played it live any other time I saw them, I might have, like, not paid attention and cared. But when I saw it that time, I was, like, into it that time. And I was like, okay, now I'm when paying attention. S- when you saw them play it live, did John Foreman come out? Um, I think sing, it's... sing the song with him? Yeah, why can't I remember that? <laughs> he must have. But now, that I, now I just realized I don't have a clear memory that he did. But I feel like he did. Oh, well. <laughs> you put me on the spot yeah i do not i don't remember that he must have like i'm pretty sure because i think i've seen other videos from the same tour that he did so i don't know none of our none of our concert like so many of that year's tour are online but there's like no videos from the, the los angeles show that i've been able to find on youtube like i specifically look for them and that kind of stinks because i was like oh, i'd like to see some footage from our night and share it on the show but it doesn't seem to exist at least on youtube so um yeah um did you have any other thoughts so did you have anything else you want to say specifically about this song or do you want to like any other thoughts on relying k or uh what other albums you like or anything like that i mean you know my story yeah (laughs) i I really like forget not slow down right i just i just got a new car and i had a forget not slow down sticker and just first thing i did was slap that sticker oh nice on on the car cool um, what do you, how do you think the, this, uh, that I'll ask you this since you know, forget not slow down pretty well. Like, do you have, um, feelings on how, cause I, one time Jessica had had it in her car for like weeks and then, um, one day she was like, I get it now. I get it. And she was talking about like the story, like the beats, like the narrative that go from song to song to song. She was like, it's an opera. Like, cause we know this, you know, we knew the general idea that, you know, about him going to the cabin and writing all these songs specifically what was going on in his life at yeah. the time. But after Jessica had it like stuck in her car and she listened to it for weeks, she was like, I see, she was like seeing the threads of like this song leads to this song and this emotional beat goes to this song and all this stuff. So it's like, so do you, do, when you, have you ever noticed that about Forget That Slow Down? Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, uh, have you thought about how songs connect to each other or do you just kind of like love the music specifically in that album? It's, it's more of, uh, loving the music, but I, I did realize like why he wrote the album right? and like why he, or why they arranged the album that way. Mm -hmm. It's telling a story of like, forget not slow down. The first song is telling him, uh, or telling us why the 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 album was written and then the second song uh, just lets us know uh, that you know i don't need a soul i'm okay and and then candlelight is just him reminiscing right i guess yeah and like it's just every song on that album uh is is about one specific thing mm-hmm. and so that's what i really appreciate about it is that is that you know what he's he's talking about like there's no question right yeah 
I was just thinking about it now in terms of this song specific of deathbed specifically. It's like, I wonder if it's, it's, it seems like the op, it seems like maybe another artist would have gone in the opposite direction of like, do a big story album, like a big, an album that has a strong like narrative thread that goes from, that has like art character arcs and stuff. And then after you've like successfully done that, then do a big operatic 11 minute song, 15 minute song. That's like, you know, basically does the same thing in one song, but he kind of did it in the opposite direction. So I'm wondering if Deathbed possibly achieving that at that point in their career then makes, you know, an endeavor like Forget Not Slow Down to tell one specific story like a little bit easier because there's like mini songs within Deathbed, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it's like, I wonder if, uh, yeah, it's, it could have, it could have, uh, Deathbed specifically led to forget not so that, like i mean obviously they're like the album right after each other but it's like i wonder if the success of creating deathbed and writing it and getting it done in that way then leads directly to like the artistic ability that they have to write an album specifically like forget not slow down yeah i don't i mean like as a as a songwriter you have so many ideas and deathbed like you just said had all of those ideas mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a certain confidence that you build up when you make a song like Deathbed. Right. Because you have all these ideas and you're like, oh, I put them down. I got it. And and then, you know, what happened to Tyson? And he goes into the cabin and he's like, okay, well, I, I am really in- inspired to write another album. Like, I think that's why I do. I do. I do believe that um, that's why Forget Not Slow Down is that good. Mm-hmm. Is because he had all the confidence um, in writing that out uh, specifically about that relationship. Right. Like he had confidence to, to write about it. Yeah. He didn't, I I feel like he didn't really question anything while writing forget, not slow down. Yeah. Yeah. And there was one, I, there's one interview I saw, not now that I'm thinking of it in this way, where Tyson talked about deathbed that it was originally like the first, idea of the song was he was writing about his own death like but in like a in in like a in like a speculative way like he's basically writing like a fiction story about his own death and like confronting it and stuff but then you know he realized it was too it was too much like as much as jessica doesn't care for the heavy themes in the final song (laughs) she probably would have hated even more if it's like (laughs) told from the first person of the singer but since he like changed that i'm wondering it's like like the idea of writing a song as complex with as many ideas as deathbed. And then he goes and he goes, I can't do this from my, my personal point of view. I have to create a fictional character in order to confront this. And then he confronts it with a fictional character, all these very heavy themes about directly confronting death and like the mistakes in life and like, you know, coming to God and, and, and knowing you have grace for all the bad decisions you've made. And then after having done that through a fictional character, he then has the confidence from a writing point of view, from a musical point of view to do the same thing now for his own life with forget not slow down. And like you said, like you seem to have this confidence going into forget not slow down from a musical standpoint, but like not questioning himself on what lyrics were best and stuff. And then like, so I'm now I'm kind of thinking like we get forget, we maybe we get forget not slow down the way it is because he kind of built some of that foundation artistically for himself in deathbed, like going through a fictional character's life and now going even further into it. You could almost like, 
you know, if Forget Not Slow Down wasn't fiction or if Deathbed, now if Forget Not Slow Down wasn't a true story or if Deathbed wasn't fiction, you could almost like put them together in like a, in a, in a way, you know what I mean? They could, they could almost be part of the same story. You could almost like reconfigure them to be part of the same narrative, like how people have done for Collapsible Lung <laughs> being a sequel to Forget Not Slow Down. Yeah. Right. So, uh, anyway, sorry, I just pontificated there, but, uh, um, I, yeah, did you have any final thoughts on Reliant K, Deathbed, Forget Not Slow Down, anything? Uh, no. Okay. I mean, it's like, like I tell you sometimes, like when right. I listen to the podcast and I don't like a song, I listen to the, you guys, uh-huh. and you, your takes on it, and I'm like, okay, this is actually pretty good. Yeah, okay. I like it more. And like how you guys at the end of the episodes now ask each other, do you like the song more, less, or right. uh, like not, no difference. Right. I think uh, for this song, I like it more. Okay, yeah. good. So Cool. By the way, sweet Animal Crossing shirt. Oh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I got this at, um, at Walmart, of all places. I go into a Walmart like once a year, and I just went in, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I've got to get that shirt. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks very much. Thank you. Yep. You love that land with every sinful bone. And there you wept alone. Your heart was so contrite. Yeah, I just forgot to hit record, but there we go. Okay. All right. Um, so we missed all that. But uh, yeah, how are you doing? Good. Good. We had some technical. You? Good. We had some technical difficulties connecting just now. I'm speaking with Tucker. So sorry I had you waiting earlier. I just had to go. I it. I barely ever have to go into the office anymore. But today was like randomly a day when we scheduled for us to be talking like three hours ago. <laughs> so how's it going? <laughs> oh, pretty good. I guess I'm. Uh, I'm always a little nervous video chatting, but that's okay. Oh yeah. Did you want to cancel the video? <laughs> Did you want to block the video? I've done that with one person already. They were like, I don't like the video. <laughs> oh, it's okay. I mean, okay. like you're just, I, I guess just so I know, like you're um keeping the audio, right? Yeah. You're not like. Yeah, I'm not going to put a video version together because when we mm-hmm. do our wraparound segments, introducing each person's segment, we're not going to do that on video. So it would be weird to try to put together a video version. I guess to get started, how did you uh, get? How did you get into Reliant K? And then, at what point did you discover this particular song we're talking about today? I, I think we probably probably started with the Pirates Who Don't Do Anything cover. I oh, would okay. imagine. Okay. Um, I can't. I wish I would have probably asked one of my siblings. They probably would remember a little better. Um. Because I know we knew Pirates Who Don't Do Anything and then Be My Escape from, like, one of those WoW hit collections or something. Um, And then somehow it got brought up to um, one of our uncles, and then they started listening to Reliant K and sent us CDs. Okay. Um, So, yeah, one of the CDs we got from our uncle was Five Score. Um, along with like self-titled Two Left and the Apathetic EP. Okay. Those four were the ones he sent. And yeah, so I guess 
it's always been five scores feels like the about the oldest Reliant K that I remember listening to. Okay. So did you like, did you, when did you, cause I'll, I'll admit that when five score came out, you know, and it sounds like, so you probably got sent those CDs around the time that five score was probably new. Like we're talking like maybe 2007 or maybe 2008 too. Okay. Yeah. 2007, 2008. It would have had to been pretty new. Cause I know we got, I feel like we knew what Reliant K was like when, Burn the B-Sides came out. We didn't get it, but I feel like we saw it like in like Christian bookstores and stuff. Okay. So did you listen to Deathbed specifically like from the time you got the CD? Because for me, since I'd been listening to Reliant K from the first album when that was new, by the time Five Score came out, and I think we talked about it on the show before, but that's like one of the first albums I didn't rush out and buy and not for any reason against the album. It was just like I'd already been listening to them for eight years or seven years. So I was just not, I was just not burnt out, but I was like, you know, not as deeply entrenched in it anymore. So I didn't rush out to get that CD. And by the time I did, I wasn't like playing it from beginning to end all the time. So I don't even think I listened to deathbed for years after the album actually came out. Like I listened to most of the first half of that CD a lot, but I don't think I even Mm -hmm. got to the back half. Like we talk about how like up and up the acoustic version is the version we're more familiar with because we played burden the b-sides from beginning to end all the time but we never got that far into five score so um did you hear deathbed from like early on was it one you discovered from when you got those cds or did it take you a while to get to it um i remember it from early on i think it's taken me a little while to absorb it so i Mm -hmm. think um it's one i feel like i've known for so long it's hard to like pin down exactly when you like first started experiencing it yeah yeah because i mean to be honest like i definitely heard it before this podcast but i'd never like gave it much attention before now so like i'm drastically playing catch up in terms of like trying to like actually really absorb the story like i knew the i could if you if like like a year or two ago even when we saw them last in 2016 if you said like for me to write down everything that happens in that song and be like, he gets cancer. His dad was a, was a preacher or a Bible salesman. Like I was like, had all these vague ideas, but it's not like I couldn't sing the whole song from beginning to end. And I have a little bit more of a, of a, you know, it's, I, I remember more of it now, but like I couldn't possibly like sing most of the lyrics. So I'm, pl- and that's part of the reason why we're having lots of other points of view on this song is because this is like one of their biggest songs both like in terms of size and scope but also for it's like cult following within Reliant K fandom so that's why I wanted like other people's points of view on it as well because we're like we're poorly equipped to like fully discuss this song it doesn't seem fair to be like any other Reliant K song we're like oh we're big Reliant K fans and if these this little deep cut here or there we don't know perfectly we'll catch up on it but it seems like such a um, poor example to be a Reliant K podcast and not really know enough about this song. So, so like any like kind of you know whatever interests you about this song, we'd want to know because it might differ a lot from how we've started getting into it in the last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, I think a few years ago I first started kind of getting into it with like listening to it and kind of like imagining kind of like the story playing out in my head 
mm-hmm. that sort of thing. And yeah, I really like it musically. I think it stands out from the rest of the album in that like um, theatrical piece in sort of way. Right. Um, and how it, I'm not a musician, so I'm probably going to not explain it well. Right. But how it keeps like almost each wave of the story fresh with a different kind of musical motif that goes along with it, like sort of subtle wedding bells in the background when he says he got married on his 21st. And mm-hmm. then like when like the bold about six times a week line comes up, like you hear some accordion, I think. I okay. really like that. Um, like that added texture to it. Um, does the, uh, does the message of the song speak to you in any particular way? Like, is it just, do you just like it in terms of being like a big, you know, story, like a sort of saga story, or is there anything specific about the character or the themes of the song itself that speak to you? It's definitely one that, um, like I'd be interested to know, like people from different backgrounds, how they take the, overall story because like me being coming from a christian church going upbringing um and i guess more recently really i guess considering myself saved in the last few years Mm -hmm. um, only in the last few years i guess uh, i do connect with it on that uh that level of having hope in um uh, Jesus element. Right. Um, I know that that doesn't necessarily, I know like that doesn't by default make it a good song because mm-hmm. you can sing about that and not like the song can kind of be whatever. But yeah, I guess even though I have a few different angles that I have been thinking of the song recently, I guess the given one is kind of like, I guess it, it's sort of like a, my screen closed. I had the lyrics up. Um, okay. <laughs> it's sort of like a a Christian faith testimony, I guess you could say. Except, like it shows that um, a level beyond that, obviously. Uh, yeah, and then another element that I was just kind of thinking about um, with it being kind of like a ballad, like a a story i wasn't i i wanted to know your opinion if you thought there was a connection between like like the first verse when uh he mentions like his mother told him stories and um or made up tales and stories and stuff and then like about near the end out like genius calls it the bridge two uh-huh. um and with the uh with the the wolf and sheep or wolf and lamb symbolism kind of reminding you of like a fairy tale type thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's supposed to tie together. Uh, of like stories his mother told him. And then that's kind of just a theme of the song, like a, a tale and then ties in with the. Right. Well then no, I, I, I've, uh, I haven't put that connection together. Someone, uh, um, David catch when I was talking to him about it, he, there's like, I guess there's like all this symbolism and you kind of connected another, possibly connected another one because like 
you know, I, I'm only just delving into the song and it seems like it might be so dense in that way that there's like little mysteries and things you can't uncover. So that's a perfectly like possible thing to think like his mother is telling him stories when he's a kid. And then, yeah, bridge two, I'm looking at it now, but to connect that back to like the kind of stories you tell kids, you know, especially in the time and the setting of this story, like in the early 20th century to be like possibly bringing to the idea of like fairy tales that involve wolves and monsters and stuff like that, but also tying it to like, you know, the lamb of God and symbolism like that. Like that's entirely possible. David Ketch had mentioned that the bowling thing, he noticed this one that when he talks about bowling, when he sings about the going bowling and there's a seven ten split, how like the seven ten split is like the, the, um, pins are as far away from each other as possible and that's what his relationship was like at that point you know what i mean like his his relationship with his wife it's like he's as far as the seven and the ten pin in a seven ten split because all he's doing is bowling all day and not spending any time with his family and like i was like i, I this is why I'm, <laughs> this is why i wanted other people's points of view because like i'm i'm not gonna it's i'm not gonna be able to figure out all of those symbolisms and stuff so that's possibly a, a pretty good call to say like his mother tells him all these stories of, I don't know, like as I've gotten older, I, you know, everyone has nostalgia cons- consistently. Like, I don't think there's anyone who like can't have nostalgia, even if you hate it, even if you like, get nostalgic and you reject it and you despise it. But to think like, you know, as you get older, you think more and more back on your childhood and you see little connections to things. And as people, you know, as you have, your own family and children and you start to like recontextualize things from your past, from your childhood that you understood then and you recontextualize them as an adult, this idea of like possibly like in this second bridge, like connecting that thought as he's getting older, as he's getting ready to die and thinking about his mother telling him stories. And then there's this bridge too, which that I think Mm -hmm. is very possibly like deliberate. And if it's not, it's like, it's, it's definitely something he could say in hindsight was deliberate. Yeah. And I was curious in your deep dives, I wasn't sure how much of an episode you were going to have with Jessica. Right. But um, uh, we'll, we'll try to do like, I haven't done, because like we're doing this like for four or five weeks out from when the episode will air. So mm-hmm. we haven't done like an actual, like, I've done some research in between other songs and found interviews with things like talking about how, you know, this was, there's more to the story than is just presented in the song. And they talked at different points about like other uh, media for this story, like either more songs or like a full album of just the, this story or doing like a movie or doing some sort of written thing. Like, so I, I'm familiar with some of that stuff, but I haven't done the kind of deep dive yet that we would do on any other song. We're like really looking for everything we could find. I, yeah, did, I, just, I did just find out, and we've talked about this before, but Jessica's the one who was like, Sleeping feels like like a pseudo-sequel or like a retread of Deathbed, but like a shorter one. It's like the uh, air... Running? Run, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah sorry, running. Um, sorry uh-huh. yeah, you're right. Okay. <laughs> too, many, too many songs with that same motif of the ING and the G missing. So Running, mm-hmm. yeah, that's like... Um, uh, but uh, it, it, we always felt like it was a... I thought it was like a spiritual sequel. Like here's the same basic idea of like a story song from the past and like, but it's much shorter. It's only like around four minutes, but it turns out it actually 
I guess is set in that universe. I didn't know that until I looked at the genius page and I saw that there's a particular line that like it's his son or something, I guess, or it might be his grandson of the original guy from Deathbed or something like that. That's mm. really genius. There's one particular line and then it quotes an interview with Tyson that I didn't like click through to look at yet, but I will eventually. <laughs> it just takes so much preparation for this song, but I guess he, Tyson was even like not fully uh, crazy about the idea of making it obvious that this was, he didn't want to throw that line in where the the character from Runnin, uh, you know, directly references the character from Deathbed because he didn't want it to be too obvious, but then they ended up going forward anyway. That's what Genius said anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if the, the article you hadn't clicked through to yet was the one I was reading, but um, now there's an article, a pretty in-depth article with um, chorus.fm that talks more about that and it's okay. pretty interesting okay because um, like i could understand like i guess thinking about um yes deathbed's place on five score um mm-hmm. i always i always didn't have like a whole lot of a issue with it being included on the album because mm-hmm. like i know you guys have talked about wondering if it should have been better as a, a standalone right story like um yeah, I'm. I guess I'm glad that even since they couldn't have the full concept album, I'm glad it had a home on Five Score, so it uh, got the rec- that recognition. Yeah. Um, I don't know how good like attraction it would have gotten in 2007 or right. whenever it would have been released if it was a single. Yeah, but, probably not much. I mean. I mean, I don't begrudge that it's on there. I just like, you know, especially from my history of not paying attention to it for several years after that album came out. And in Jessica's particular point of view, where it's just like thematically too much and she just doesn't like going on that journey, like in terms of like confronting those sort of stark themes and stuff. Um, I I don't begrudge that it's on the album because at the very least, like traditionally like i said like you not up is it yeah up and up like when you up and up feels like a closing track to a more traditional rock album and then there's this extra thing on the end it's almost like it's a bonus or like it's a it's like a you know like a side b or side c or something that's kind of tacked on in a way it's it doesn't maybe it doesn't feel like it's hard to feel like for me it's hard to feel like it's part of that album but it's it does make sense for this being a song that gives a lot of people hope and is a lot for people to like um, delve into and think about that it was on what was for them like a pretty big album and to have it on there. So people can skip it or people can actually get into it. And that probably helps that absolutely helped expose it to a wider audience than if it had been a single or like some other concept album that probably wouldn't have been, you know, easily sold at like a hot topic or a Walmart or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I, I mean, we, we, we corrected this at some point, but when we started this podcast, we thought we mistook that five score was their best selling album. We said that in some early episodes and that wasn't true. What we misread was that this was their like, fastest uh charting album it like in some way i can't remember now we looked into it a couple weeks ago but it like when this album came out it like shot up the charts you know quickly and also you know fell 
rather quickly. Didn't I don't think it out, it didn't outsell. Mm-hmm. But the fact that this in that at least in that way this album had a pretty big audience. So a lot of people who maybe weren't and also this probably had their most exposure outside of Christian bookstores. I'm guessing because you know mm-hmm, was made for goatee and it was redistributed by a capital just a couple weeks later, but this was like their first capital records release and the band and the record label seemed to put a lot behind it. So it's kind of crazy that this song would get that much exposure. This song deathbed, if people stuck through for it would get that much exposure to like a whole different market. Like if this had been on the end of Mm -hmm, or some other album that you think of only specifically as a Christian bookstore album, then you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. But to think that this is on an album that, had like a wider marketing push for the mainstream than any previous album of theirs. Like that's interesting that a song like this could be exposed to people who might not even ever hear or see any other kind of art in this way. Like I think of like, there's a lot of like recent, you know, there's a lot of like Christian books and like other Christian movies and stuff like the shack or whatever, you know, like these like metaphor, you know, a metaphorical allegory, like modern Christian, uh, fictions that that confront very similar themes to this song you know but those kind of in a way would have a limited audience of who's you know who you know people who are already kind of part of the choir are going to go see the the shack movie or read the book or whatever but yeah this song seems to have probably had more exposure to an audience that wouldn't ever see you know a large sort of epic scope work of this way with these sort of themes about death through the Christian viewpoint. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Sorry. I went on there for a while. I <laughs> just, that's all right. Yeah. This will also help the, the, this whole experiment of talking to different people will also help me when I sit down with Jessica, who's <laughs> going to probably not have much to say. And they'd be like, Oh, well, I have all kinds of opinions already. <laughs> Cause she and I, like we develop, sometimes we develop opinions about songs as we're talking on mic. And like, mm-hmm. I, that I, you know, I'll already have done that in a way with you and the other people we had on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you, th- what do you think? I've been asking everyone this, but what did you, what do you think of um, the uh, John Foreman popping in at the end as the voice of God? What do I think of that? You, you, um, cut out a little bit. Okay. So I, I assume you're just asking what my opinion on that. Yeah. What's what's your opinion on that? Just like you do, you know, when you, maybe when you first heard it, did you interpret it the way it's, it's widely interpreted or did you find it interesting or. I can't remember my first thoughts. Again, it's hard to remember it. I guess my thoughts have more had to develop over time. I think it's an, it's a nice kind of like in contrast to the rest of the song, it's kind of like a, a release of tension, I guess. Um, mm. And I'm sure uh, people are, who are big Switchfoot fans probably appreciate that too. Right. I guess I think it's a nice ending. I have, I have like reason to believe right now that that possibly was added late in the process because I was listening mm-hmm. to an interview with Ethan Luck, but he mentioned how th- they they took th- like they were done with the song, and Ethan wasn't in the band at this point, but they were done with the song or done recording or something and they were back on the road and then Ethan got a call and this is before he's in the band saying, hey, we need your help. Can you get in the studio and help track 
the drums for like the outro of deathbed. Cause it seemed like they might, which implied to me that they added that on in the end that maybe like mm-hmm. the stuff with God, with the voice of God, whether it was going to be John Foreman or whoever, like the, that whole ending coda or whatever seems to have been like maybe a late addition to the song that they basically needed like to call up Ethan Luck and be like, Hey, can you, cause we're on the road right now and we need someone to get in the studio with a drum set and like help us get this tracked. So that's, you know, that's interesting to think that they were still working on the song that late in the game, if that's true. Yeah. It would make sense since like to my ear, it sounds like the final outro part is back to Tethan. Mm-hmm. So it would make sense if, like the final outro part was supposed to be all there was. Right. Or maybe Tyson singing the John Foreman part. I don't, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I didn't hear that in an interview or anything. I just didn't know if that was the lyrics were added or just the, um, uh, additional, maybe it was just the additional drums or something. Maybe they were, maybe it already that part of the song was in there, but maybe they decided to rework how the drums were going to be. Maybe it was as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fun to think about, though. Yeah. So um, did you have any other thoughts on the song? Any other things that speak to you or things maybe you haven't heard people talk about? Any particular, like, theories, like, weird theories or... Uh... <laughs> I guess it's it's one that I think I found fun to... Or fun... I don't know if it's the right word, but... Mm-hmm when getting to know the song better and like getting older and understanding more of the uh, subtext kind of like uh, getting married eight months before his wife would give birth, kind of implying um, uh, that he got her pregnant and then the father in, uh, inquiring at the barrel of a gun, right. you know, that, sub, that subtext, like, uh, and I guess figuring that feeling like I figured that out by myself, I guess that's probably a, a simple thing to figure out. But for like when I was younger, that was, I guess. Had you ever, had you ever heard the term shotgun wedding before? I think I'd heard that term. I maybe I'd heard the term before and didn't know what it meant what it meant yeah yeah i think i learned it from the i i don't know when i learned it but i feel like i learned it from cartoon maybe not cartoons but like some sort of television like i don't know the beverly hillbillies probably not that i don't know like some old television show i might have learned it from that so i think i knew the idea of like you you like uh point a gun at the guy and you're like you're marrying my daughter there was a tiny tunes episode like that actually so maybe it was a cartoon <laughs> It was like Buster was being forced to marry uh, some like backwoods alligator girls or something. <laughs> so <laughs> I might have learned it from that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess one, if I can't think of anything else, as one extra thing. Uh-huh. Uh, earlier this year, like February, we were, our local bowling alley closed down. So we had been trying out a bowling alley in town uh, another town that we hadn't been to the bowling alley mm-hmm. uh and that n- nothing particularly fancy about the bowling alley they didn't even have electronic scorekeepers on the on the uh, lanes or anything uh-huh. uh, but they had a like a digital 
jukebox type thing where you could, it was like a touch screen or something where you could just search songs and like put it in the queue kind of, uh-huh. and like, of course, pay for it. And I think when we were there that time uh, with my family, it was, we were having fun kind of looking up obscure, see what obscure music they had. Cause like a traditional jukebox would mainly just have hits mm-hmm. that it would be already pre-installed. Right. But from a digital library, there's a lot of other opportunities. So I looked up Reliant K to see what they had. And I think they had quite a bit, but when I saw that they had deathbed, I was like, is it actually going to let me play the whole song? Uh-huh. Like, or is it going to cut off? Um, Tell so me you I, did it. <laughs> I did it. Okay. I, I put like my personal um, Reliant K choices. I did forget not slow down and deathbed. Okay. So yeah, it, it played the whole song. Oh, wow. <laughs> that was, it's like, it, I feel like I would give people ideas like to just fill the, with all the 10 minute songs they can think of <laughs> right that's great that's amazing but, especially since there's bowling in the song yeah <laughs> it's like one more fitting song yeah and then like to think of like people who are like put in their choices that you people you weren't with people you weren't with at the bowling alley who are like waiting for their song to play and like that song's going on for 11 minutes and they're like when's my song yeah <laughs> thank you it was it was good that um like when we first got there that time there was like a ten year old's birthday party going on so they had their music going on for a bit but then okay. when they left um it was basically open um, okay. but no one else was really trying to get on it so what? we weren't hold, we weren't holding anybody up but yeah <laughs> but that's great I love that yeah that's so funny cool well um yeah I think we can I think we're good there thank you so much for uh, yeah your insights and, and that definitely thanks for that story. I think with those apps, you, I think with those digital things, sometimes you can like get the app and you can like send songs to locations that you're not even at. (laughs) So that might be awful prank to start playing on bars and bowling alleys when they're all reopened. (laughs) It's just send to their touch tunes, jukeboxes, deathbed over and over. So here we are with uh, Daniel, Daniel Moraine. It's Moraine, right? Correct. Also known as You Can See My Socks. Uh, I've talked about this with a bunch of other people we talked to, but anyone, whatever people's internet names were when we started talking to them, that's kind of what it's like permanently in our minds. So we always think of you as You Can See My Socks. Now we call you Daniel, You Can See My Socks. That's how we <laughs> refer to you in our real lives. So it's like your name is, your real name is slowly taking over your online name for us. So, uh, yeah, I guess first thing I want to ask (laughs) is just because you've been interacting with the podcast since early on and, and consistently and stuff, and you help us out with, um, knowledge about, uh, you know, musicality and keys and time signatures and all kinds of stuff like that. So, uh, but one thing I'm curious is what your Twitter handle comes from. You can see my socks. (laughs) Great question. Um, so the first time I used that was actually for my Zanga back in, I think I made that in ninth grade. Okay. Um, and uh, I just came up with it. I I think I was thinking about shoes already because like there was another guy who had Zanga and like his username was like vaguely shoe related. So I, I thought that would be cool to do. And like 
um, I had gotten my first pair of Converse that year and wore the absolute crap out of them to the point where like, like around the bottom, like above the heat above the sole was like ripped all the way around. So they were kind of like, like when I walked, they were almost like flip flops. Okay. (laughs) Like laced up. So um, they were just like in really bad shape. Like I ran a mile in them and it was terrible. And like, um, so I made it, you can see my socks because like you literally could see my, my socks. Um, And of course, like in early high school fashion, like spelled it super weird and like added X's and you know, that kind of Mm -hmm. thing. So cool. Okay. Well, that's the finally, this month we've been uh, (laughs) solving a bunch of Reliant K mysteries and that's another one (laughs) as a podcast, but very cool. Um, So, uh, so we'll get specifically also in, you know, into deathbed in a second, but just want to track your relationship with Reliant K and, and uh, when you got into them and then I'm kind of asking everyone if you got into this song early or if you kind of came to it later. So, Um, yeah. So for the band itself, um, I first heard them in seventh grade. Um, My sister who is about two years younger than me, she had gone to our local Christian bookstore and got, it was, it was either Stacy or Rico or Jackie JC Velasquez. I don't remember. I don't remember which one it was, but she had got a CD of one of them and it came with this bonus CD that had just like a bunch of other Christian artists on it. Mm-hmm. Um, like a compilation basically only not punk in any way, <laughs> except okay. for case song i'm trying to remember what was on there it was like the first track was like zoe girl there was like andy hunter um the benjamin gate i think the last track was like not an actual newsboys song but it was like the newsboys talking about one of their songs okay something like that Uh yeah so kind of some random stuff on there and so that was she, she basically just like called me into her room and was like hey i think you'd like this song and played me pressing on um so that was the first reliant k song i'd heard um, okay and it was pretty much instantly like oh my gosh this is like the this is the best thing i've ever heard and like all i wanted to do was like like i had her pretty much i think right away like burn me off a copy of that that compilation cd and i just like pretty much that was like the first like modern music that whole cd that i listened to because i didn't mm-hmm. listen to the radio like up until that point i had for the last like two years um i've been listening mostly to like this one like trombone player because <laughs> okay. i trombone and yeah um his name was bill pierce um this is going way too in depth but <laughs> suffice it to say like i was like the only like ma- modern mainstream music i i heard before that was like a couple of nsync songs a couple of britney spears songs um smooth by santana featuring rob thomas like just a couple of like basic things that mm-hmm. was like all I knew. I just wasn't into it at all until she showed me that. And then, I'll... oh, can you hear me? Um, there definitely oh. what started me on that. So, like, I lost a little bit of what you said there. Oh, sorry. Um, <laughs> just basically that like they were what got me into any any sort of modern music mm-hmm. at all, every music, and so. That summer, um, after seventh grade, I got Anatomy of the Tug and Cheek. Um, pretty much alternated between listening to that and 
that mixed CD like every day um, for that whole summer. And then got um, the self-titled CD was, I think, the next one that I got. I kind of went backwards and then started listening to that. And so that got me into like MXPX and Five Iron Frenzy. Those were the other two first CDs that I got. And that was 2002. And then so by the time Five Score came out, I was I was a senior in high school when Five Score came out. And um, so I was like, obviously, they were my favorite bands. Um, so I, I knew about that coming out and had that CD pretty much the day it was released. Mm-hmm. So. And so you were listening to, I mean, you were including Deathbed and you're listen to, listening to the CD as soon as you got it? Because not everyone I've talked to in this <laughs> episode has, uh, and I didn't like you know because I think we talked about it with Five Score and I've said this multiple times in this same episode. But like you know we I didn't it was the first CD I didn't run out and get when it first came out. So I I downloaded it and I just kind of didn't get past the first in a good way. I didn't get past the first half of the CD where like I was just enjoying the first half too much. So I never bothered getting much further so I didn't even hear deathbed for many years afterwards and by the time I did I didn't it, it was like oh what's this it's really long so you know um I kind of uh, like skipped it for years did it yeah. immediately hit you and hit you as something like special or did it just feel like did it feel normal but just extra long like what did you think of it when you first heard it? yeah I I no, I, it definitely felt special. Um, so my thoughts on Five Score as a whole, um, it's like kind of low on my Reliant K album tier list. Um, I was really excited for it because the songs I'd heard before the album came out, I think were I Need You and Must Have Done Something Right. But like that single version where like the end cuts off instead of like fading out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I really liked those tracks and I was like, oh, this is like new and different. Like both these songs are really different from each other. Like this feels fresh. Like I'm ready for this because I think at the time I, I've, I've thought about this looking back. Um, it seems like all the bands in that genre, I, I call this like the Renaissance period for like pop punk. I don't know why I call it that. Mm. Not like the Renaissance EP or something like that by MXBX, but like um, it just seems like, all these bands um, were like kind of doing more experimental and like orchestration kind of things. Like um, another one that came out the same year, um, Infinity on High by Fall Out Boy, you know, had like a lot of strings and stuff on it and like, you know, just more kind of out there kind of stuff. I think Newfound Glory's Coming Home or what? what's that album? That Newfound Glory album, Coming Home, is that it? That would have been 2007 roughly yeah uh newfound glory i have to look it up because i mean i know like the self-titled one i know sticks and stones but i'm not like the best uh newfound glory uh information well so hold on let me see sticks and stones catalyst and coming uh coming home yeah coming home so like catalyst is about when i stopped uh paying attention to every album for them like i check them out once in a while but yeah um but yeah so so I was really excited. Oh, and Panic of the Disco, that was the other one that kind of in that time, I think Panic of the Disco kind of opened the door for that. Like, here's this band that's somehow in the pop punk scene, even though they're not pop punk at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, has all these like strings and like crazy arrangements and, and stuff going on. I think that kind of kicked the door open for it. And then of course, them with um, 
pretty odd. Like that album is very out there too. But anyway, so like I was very like at the time I was like, oh yes, I'm here for this. Like Reliant K is like maturing and like um, like adding all these cool fun flavors and stuff like that so i was very ready for that i don't really like digesting that album like as an album now it kind of disappointed me a little bit that there weren't like the first time i heard the intro to i need you with all that feedback and stuff with those guitars like i assumed that that was coming out of like, a previous song like they finished the previous song like let the guitars hang and ring and feedback and then they start this crazy like hard song um and, but that wasn't the case at all it just kind of like mm-hmm. starts um and so i think i hyped the album a little bit up too much in mind and like i liked it but it wasn't like oh this is like the best thing ever to me okay yeah um and i i feel like deathbed is like kind of that feeling summed up in one song for me mm-hmm. uh, i i think deathbed is great and like reliant k should feel really proud of that song like i don't, I don't want to take anything away from deathbed with my thoughts on it um but i th- I just have always had this feeling that like it could have been like another 10% better. I I feel like I see what they wanted it to be. And like in nine out of 10 ways, like it, it accomplishes that. And there's just like this little bit that like, isn't quite there, you know? Right. April agrees. She's barking or she disagrees. I can't tell. <laughs> oh, I, I said April okay. either agrees or disagrees. Cause she started barking right when you said that. <laughs> um interesting so so what do you think what do you think uh it doesn't accomplish and or what do you think that it does accomplish so i think i think narratively like this song is amazing and like lyrically like one of matt Thiessen's best and that is saying a lot because it's matt Thiessen and that's like his very strong thing i think there's um on any given reliant k song like the lyrics are going to be the strongest part even though like for me what i usually connect with actually is the music of it um like pressing on like could have been about anything and like the first you know five seconds with that guitar if i was hooked already so so it's almost like the lyrics don't even matter for me and so if i do notice the lyrics then like that's how i know it's like really good lyrically and like this is a great song like lyrically and narratively i think that is awesome um and i i I think the ambitiousness of it is like really great that they tried this thing with like i remember um i think seeing a picture around the time that the album was released or or while they were recording it um of like the pro tools session or whatever that markley townsend had and like the hundreds of tracks that were in there like different instruments and stuff um like i think that's i think that's awesome and it seems to really like in terms of like in the fandom i think the 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 thing they were going for was accomplished like mm-hmm. the fans have this really special place in their heart for it you know mm-hmm. it's not a single um it didn't have a music video and yet like it's like you can talk to any reliant k fan about deathbed and like they love that song mm-hmm. um you know me included i i do love this song um so i think all you, was it i'm trying to think if it was you guys or somebody else on a different podcast lately that was talking about that like how bands have um like just album tracks that aren't singles aren't promoted in any way but become fan favorites you know for different reasons yeah i mentioned Um, beer by real big fish 
Yes, yes, that was yeah, you. Yeah. Some, once in a while, there's an album track that organically. Oh, well, I lost you. Okay. Sometimes, yeah, I was saying how sometimes bands have like a track that organically becomes a hit because it doesn't have a single. It's not a single. It's not a video, and it really has like an actual like. It's not like this song was forced on anybody, and it, that's why it became a sing uh, a popular song with the crowd. It's like it really was an organic grassroots song within a fandom that everyone latched onto. Yeah. Yeah. But it's also like, I think they did, you know, I think they knew that without having to make it a single or do any special, special promotion around it. Um, I'm sure that they knew that it was going to be a big deal. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cause it's unlike any song they'd ever done before. Even when I go down, you know, being like kind of a longer, more drawn out, you know, different sections kind of song, mm -hmm. um, you know, never resonated with the fan base the way that Deathbed does. Um, yeah. Musically, though, um, there's like a ton of interesting stuff, mostly just like different like instruments and stuff going through like the first half of the song until it gets to that like that just instrumental section that kind of like builds for a while until mm -hmm. the John Foreman part. And so like the first half of that song is like a lot more fun to listen to. I think for me, um, not only cause you can sing along, but like, there's just like a lot of different stuff happening. Um, right. and it's, it's that, it's that instrumental build section though, over those like just two chords that for me is like where the song could have like reached that extra 10% and just didn't quite, I don't know. I I kind of suspect now that like you could just mix it differently mm -hmm. and like it would have more of a impact because I, I was listening to it with headphones and stuff and I was like hearing these string parts that are like pretty buried in the mix towards the end of that section that I'm like, Oh, I kind of want to hear that more, you know, cause they get a little bit more complicated, like as it goes on, mm -hmm. but like mostly what you hear is like, at least melodically is like the trumpets and stuff that I think Matt Teason is playing. Right. Um, and there's also like, there's also like a sour note um, from one of the trumpets at, I wrote this down at um, nine minutes and 35 seconds. Okay. Um, that kind of has always like, I always listen for it and hear it. Um, it's pretty faint, but, and only lasts for like a second, but like I, stuff like that. I just, I hear stuff like that. I'm like, there really wasn't a better take that you could have like put in there or just like, where did they miss it in those hundreds of protest right. tracks? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like how did, how did that not get caught and fixed? Right. And there's, there's definitely something to be said, um, especially in a song like this for like leaving those little human quality moments right. um, in there. And I think they do, but like, earlier in the song like where Matt Teason's voice is kind of cracking a little bit and it's not like perfectly on pitch especially like um the part right before that section is kind of the last like chorus mm -hmm. part, and it, like with the toy piano and stuff where his character is actually like about to die mm -hmm. uh, you know that makes total sense for his voice to not really be quite totally in tune and and just kind of sounds kind of bad you know it makes total sense and it, it sounds really good the way it is there but right. i think that whole instrumental build section for me has always symbolized 
like that's the part where like Jesus is carrying him home to heaven. Like if you were to make some sort of visual for this song, like that's what would be happening at that part. Like you, like you would, you would see him being raised up or like walking up a golden staircase hand in hand with Jesus or something, you know? And so for there to be that like little imperfection in there, or at least that part that's like kind of distracting is like, you know, I, it just doesn't. I was also thinking, I wonder if, it, if, if they left it on purpose, if it wasn't a mistake that they overlooked, could it have been a, uh, like a beach boys thing? Cause you know, like the beach boys were known for that sort of Brian Wilson was known for that sort of thing. Like with leaving mistakes in on purpose or things that the other members of beach boys thought were mistakes. And he's like, no, that, that, weird sound or that you know singing that song is there on purpose so i wonder if like there was any except you know your your thoughts on it make a lot of sense it's like well if this is the part of the song where he's actually leaving his body and and entering heaven and meeting jesus and you'd think it wouldn't have that sort of beach you wouldn't have that sort of accidental um yeah. sour note or anything like that there at that point unless they weren't thinking of it in that term in that in those terms yeah yeah i mean i i think that does happen a lot and this could that could very well be the case like they could have heard that and been like no we should leave that in there um and so for me it's it's you know it could be either one it doesn't really matter it's just not the choice i would have made but like i'm also not in Light k making that album so you know it would be worse if like I would fix that part, but then like if I was writing the rest of the songs, they wouldn't have been as good. So right. <laughs> who cares what I think really, but. Oh no, I lost you. I lost you. I can't hear you. Oh, I was just saying like, there's a time and a place for like those little quirky flubby kind of moments that happen in the studio that like they get left in because the band thinks they're cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and for me, just that particular section of that particular song is like not the part you want to do that with. Right. Yeah. Is there anything, is there any other particular notes or like any topic that we you want to talk about? Cause I'm thinking in terms of music and I, we, you know, and you kind of touched on what you think of some of the lyrics and stuff, but uh, is there any other topic on this song that I might not know that you wanted to talk about? Um, yeah. A couple of more mystery kind of things to me. Um, so the, the, the part where he says bold about six times a week, um, that there's an accordion in the background on that part, um, which I think is great. Like in terms of like theme, like, I don't know why, but like the accordion just has this kind of like unserious slacker kind of thing to me like like maybe it's symbolizing like the place where he goes for bowling like also has like some sort of like i don't know like like a a busker outside or something sure yeah or or even like i imagine like uh you know the secret track on the self-titled album like with those old guys playing accordion at that accordion song or whatever like i imagine like it's like a vfw hall or something i don't know Um, I know from listening to this might be a podcast and they talk about, he talks about accordion a lot because there's, you know, they might be giants have accordion that there's like a history to the accordion that it's very much like a blue collar instrument. And that's kind of where it started, especially in the greatest generation and earlier 
days. Like it, it starts to get out of fashion with baby boomers, but basically up until like World War II, like it was seen as like, it was like an immigrant's instrument. It was like a blue collar instrument. It was like a, you know, party instrument. And then it just kind of like came out of favor because of that, because like some people, it, it comes from both racial and generation sort of like distaste for the accordion. And that's why it starts to seem like an uncool thing is because people who don't like, like immigrants, they start to think, you know, oh, that's their instrument. And then younger kids think, Oh, that's my parents' instrument. So like the accordion had this whole thing against it by like the, I don't know, actually what decade, but let's say the fifties or sixties or something. And so it kind of makes sense if you're talking about the time frame of this guy, I guess I'm losing the, I'm, I'm forgetting what his actual, like, if his, if his, if his father was in World War One, right? Is that what we get from the lyrics? Um, <laughs> I haven't thought about the lyrics in a while, but yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. If, if he's married and bowling, that's probably like the 40s or the 50s, right? I think. Uh, he was eight, oh, okay. eight years old in, in 1941, so it would have been World War Two. but yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. See, I, 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 <laughs> I listened to this song a bunch, and then I started preparing for all these phone calls, and as I've done all of these calls, I've forgotten <laughs> more and more about the song. <laughs> yeah. there's, too much, there's too much to remember, and yeah. so then I'll have to start again. I'll just listen to it back, back to back over and over uh, totally. as we prepare for our regular section of the episode. But yeah, so then maybe that's anyway. That was a lot to yeah. say. say that, like accordion in a bowling alley, like it kind of makes sense to me in that way. Yeah, you know, totally. if it's like a blue collar, like grubby kind of place the bowling alley and then there's like people there playing accordion and yeah i i take back what i said about slacker i don't know why that that word came to me but yes like blue collar kind of vibe right to that part. um but i don't know who plays that it's not listed as an instrument in the in the uh liner notes mm-hmm. um i guess it could be just like a keyboard sound that the, right. like a preset sound um and then uh, Ethan Luck, you were talking about this, um, how he's on this album, actually, even though he wasn't in the band yet, but he's credited with playing moon drums. I don't, I don't know what moon drums are. Yeah, I, and I've asked other drummer friends what moon drums are. Like, um, you know, I didn't know if it was like a particular brand or like a certain kind of drum, like like a steel drum or like, you know, I don't know. It wasn't anything I could like, hear really in the song so i i didn't know where to like point them to in the song to like ask them what it was but yeah i don't i that's that's always been a mystery to me right um also you can so like from the time the track starts to when the first piano note actually hits is like 13 seconds and uh-huh. like the actual track of uh crayons can melt on us for all i care even like the lyrics is actually 12 seconds. So like you can fit that entire track in the space between like when you hit play on this song and like when the actual music starts, that's not significant probably. It's just kind of funny to me. That is funny. And then music theme wise, I've heard other people talk about like the, the instrumental part, like it's the same chord progression as like plead the fifth. I don't remember off the top of my head if it's the same key or not, but there's also like a cello line in that instrumental part, like 
when the horns come in, the cello under it does this this little melody that's like it's it's not this exactly the same, but it's really similar to like the lead guitar line in Up and Up. Mm-hmm. Um especially like towards the end of Up and Up, like how Matt Hoops plays that. So I don't know. There's just there's like a couple other Oh yeah, and also like the main chord progression for the song, like of the verses and stuff, mm-hmm. is a lot like the chord progression to the chorus of uh, "Must Have Done Something Right." Okay. Um, so I think there's just some there's some musical themes in this that like are just kind of strewn throughout this album. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that they're necessarily like those were conscious ideas that they were like, we're going to like interconnect all these like motifs and stuff like that. But it's just, maybe it's just more, that was where Matt Thiessen was at the time. Uh, Like musically, that's the musical headspace he was occupying. And so that's just kind of what comes out on several of the songs on this album. Right. And then this song has some key changes in it that are interesting. So the pretty obvious one is when, it gets to the from there to your typical spiel line mm-hmm. like that that one's pretty obvious it goes up from c to d but i never i forgot about this or maybe i didn't know i don't know but like when he goes the bowling verse like it actually goes back to c there and so that's another thing that like kind of sets that little section apart and so all of the choruses all the I can smell the death like those are all in C mm-hmm. um, but there's that like little part there where like it it shifts to D for a little bit mm-hmm. but then it, it it eventually goes back to D because like the whole second half of the song like, with the instrumental part and everything that's all in D um, and the part where it s- switches to that again is um, on the part where he says you asked for and prayed for my forgiveness um which i think is a cool thing to do like it's like you know that didn't necessarily change um narratively like his life necessarily like there's no indication that like when this character asks for jesus forgiveness like that his life actually gets any better because like pretty much all we know about it from that point is like that he dies (laughs) eventually um but but clearly it is some sort of like shift there in his life or at least in his heart. And um, it's just cool that like the key and like the whole mood of the song just like turns on a dime right there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we get a very different chord progression and it's like, you know, those, those kind of filtered drums and like, it's just a completely different feel from that point of the song on. Interesting. And that's a, that's a cool thing. Yeah, that is cool. And that's the stuff that I would never be able to figure out. Okay, I can hear you. you Uh, I said those are the kind of things that I could never figure out. (laughs) Be like, oh, this sounds different from the first part. Then he got saved. So maybe that's on purpose. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that that has to be like deliberate. Like, yeah, that's that's, uh, great. I'm sure that a lot of thought was actually put into that part. Um, I have thought about the... um, how yeah and i thought had the same thought about like we don't know much about his life after he's saved and like it doesn't seem like his life overall improved right like it it seems like it was just a like i i like how you put it and it's pretty simple and maybe i just hadn't thought it before but it's more like he had a change of heart it's not like his life 
greatly improved. It's not like all his kids and his family and his first wife and all this stuff is like, not like all that stuff is magically improved just because he comes to the Lord. Um, and I also thought about in terms of like, when they talk about how there's more to this story and we've had a little bit of that with running, apparently I, I didn't, we always just assumed it was like a pseudo sequel, but we didn't know it actually does. There is like one interview with Tyson saying that it actually is like in the same world or on the same family tree or whatever. And that there's a whole like history that Tyson's written of that whole, like, like, all a bunch of his family members or his family tree and like all this extended stuff. So when I hear that, I'm like, I'd really like to hear that now because when I look at his life in and of itself in this song, I'm not like super impressed with just the, you know, I'm obviously impressed with it as a song, like coming together as a thing and not like I'm expecting more from that. But like, if you just told me this guy's life as presented in this song, like in a documentary or something, it'd be like, so he got, you know, his dad, ran away and his and his and he married a lady he didn't really love and he bowled a lot and he got lung cancer and he died like it's not like the most impressive story right you know what i mean but like i'd like to know what else is there like what what because there is apparently a lot more in addition to it and so i'd like to know what else is there and uh and hear more of this i guess that he could have decent could have written like a whole album about this that was something talked about and like as far as like other writings or movies or something like some other kind of other media. So I'd like to know what else, what else was there? Yeah. I think that's part of the, the good thing about it though, is that like, I'm kind of glad it didn't turn into this like whole thing. Cause I'm sure a lot of people wanted to know more about this character and like um, the parts that are filled in by running like are cool. But I, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for like, just like leaving parts of that unsaid and like letting people, you know, who have similar experiences, like just fill in those gaps, like with their own, uh, you know, their own life stories. Like, I think it makes it a little more universal to like have the story about this guy who like, you know, here's a few things that happened to him. But like, if you, if you tell like everything that happens to him, then like he becomes, I think a little bit less relatable. Right. Um, because you know a little bit too much and you're like, you know, then you start to see the ways he's like really different from you and stuff. Um, and I think it's important that he's just like, he's just a guy and like, it's, he's not, it's not a story where like he was like irredeemably bad, but then was somehow like redeemed by Jesus. You know, he's just like a guy who like had some hard life circumstances, but like, you know, was just a regular guy, you mm -hmm. know? it's a story that has happened to like millions of people. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Well, did you have anything else you want to say about the song? I don't think so. Um, <laughs> other than that, I've seen them play it live um, at Cornerstone in 2009. That was pretty cool. And then on the look searching for America tour. Yeah. So at the Kansas city show, it's, it seemed like Roland K maybe had wanted to play that song because there was like a trumpet sitting on stage with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, I, and I wondered if they like, maybe they were going to have John Foreman come out and do that part. Um, but I heard the next day that like Switchfoot's bus like had some problems or something. So they didn't show up to the show until like much later. Oh, okay. like, I think they wouldn't have been there. So I was wondering if they, they played it when you, when you and Jess saw them on that yeah. tour. 
they did play it and uh then but i have no specific memory of john foreman coming out but he like must have because he was there and i'm pretty sure i've seen other tour videos yeah where he he, there must have been other tour videos where he did but the thing was like we did the common thing of like making our way to the back of the venue <laughs> like as that song was starting and like we'll watch it from here and yeah. then so for some reason it's just one of those like random things it's like you think i would know if john foreman came out um yeah because yeah. we even like we to, and to, to i don't think we've ever said this publicly but we really only stayed for like three switchfoot songs at the beginning like we had i don't remember we had something specific going on that we were like, we can't really be here all night. And we were mainly there for Reliant K. So we stayed for a little bit of Switchfoot, but we like, yeah. So he must That's have. That's the same thing we did. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Like we, they played, the first song Switchfoot played was Meant to Live. And I was like, all right, that's pretty much all I wanted to see. And we yeah. left like halfway through the second song. <laughs> yeah. So he must have come out, but I just don't remember. But yeah, we, um, that was a that was a packed house as well. Like I we I've seen um who else have we seen there? It was at the Palladium in Hollywood, and that was the most of I've we've spent we've seen Tegan and Sarah there headlining. We've seen the Descendants headlining there, and then we've been to Reliant K and Switchfoot. And Reliant K and Switchfoot was the most packed out of those three shows. Yeah, like everyone was shoulder to shoulder, even in the back. That's kind of why we were like making a plan to leave <laughs> earlier than later. Yeah. Yeah. I think our show wasn't super packed. Like it was at the Uptown Ballroom, which I've seen a couple other shows there. But it was about the same out as like any of the other shows I've seen there. Okay. Um like Ben Howard and Nickel Creek and I don't remember who else. But um on the guest vocal thing, I will say one of the times I saw Reliant K back in twenty thirteen um in lawrence uh they had um the almost opening for them and they played sahara but aaron gillespie did not come out and do his guest vocal on Hmm. sahara so no guarantees there i guess (laughs) yeah i haven't done any i haven't done any deep dive youtube stuff on it yet but uh when i start looking at live videos i'll see like did does who else does that? Who is like, who, you know, what other, is it a member of the band or is it someone else that they're touring with or someone else entirely that does that part? I never thought about that, but, uh, and I must've seen it other times as well, but I, I don't recall. Yeah. I'm pretty sure from what I remember at the Cornerstone show in 2009, when I saw them play that, I would think Matt Thiessen just sang the John Foreman part. Okay. Because that's, that's another thing about that part that is always, confuse me a little bit is that like John Foreman comes in kind of as the voice of God and but like the end of that phrase where like Matt Thiessen like takes over lead vocals is like still I think God speaking technically so like it's always like been a little bit weird to me that like he didn't just have John Foreman just like sing that whole part Um, maybe I don't know if they just thought it would be better if like the album ends with Matt Thiessen singing because it is a Reliant K record after all right um, I, but that's always been a little bit weird to me um, maybe it's like some sort of like weird like universalist kind of thing where like you know now that this character is like in heaven he's like one with God so like 
Right. I was just thinking that as you were saying it. <laughs> what? I was just, I just, just thinking that as you were saying it, like I never <laughs> knew that thought ahead of time, but as you're describing it, removed from hearing it, I'm like, well, it could mean this. And then you basically said <laughs> what I was thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I have no idea if that's, if that's what they were thinking, but. Or we have a spot. Because, I mean, I feel like it's more likely just like you don't want to end an album necessarily with a guest spot. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, thanks so much. Uh, sure. Yeah. And thanks for your continued phone calls to the podcast and everything. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I need to, I need to actually become a Patreon. Uh, I, I should do that soon. <laughs> I, I pretty often like kick myself for not thinking of doing this sooner, <laughs> but because it's like the one subject that I could actually do a podcast about is Roland K. Oh, okay. Um, but you know, you guys do a great job and I think I, I hear you guys talk about a lot of stuff. I'm like, Oh, I wouldn't have thought to think about that. And that's, that's really good. So, right. and thanks for having me um, for, for letting me like just ramble on about my favorite band for a little bit. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> All right. Okay, so next we're joined by uh, Brady, aka Sugar Brady, our most <laughs> Patreon, our, our our largest Patreon donor of all time to this show, but because of a joke. <laughs> so, um, so how you doing? Super. Happy okay. Sunday. Yes, happy Sunday. Well, now we've timed when this happened. Everyone knows this happened on a Sunday. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. So, yeah, so I feel like you've been listening to, what is this? What was that picture? <laughs> that was like a picture of someone eating a giant chocolate eclair or something. <laughs> oh, um, so Voodoo, Voodoo, Voodoo Donuts okay. has this large phallus donut. Oh, okay. Yeah, a picture just flashed across the screen for a second while I was talking to him. Yeah. I was making sure that uh, I was connected to my Wi-Fi and not to... Uh, oh, okay. Uh, yes. Is that like your hold picture or something? Uh, that's my Zoom profile picture. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, don't, I it, don't have to use Zoom for work, so I don't care what my Zoom picture is. Gotcha. It happened so quickly. I wasn't even tired. I could tell it wasn't actually dirty. Like, it just looked fake dirty because there were people sitting around, but it happened so quickly. I was like, what the hell did I just see? <laughs> it was basically like a giant penis donut, and I guess that was you, and you were eating it? Yes, that was a giant <laughs> penis donut that I was eating by myself. <laughs> okay. Um, it's my we, favorite donut in the world. Oh, really? I've only been to yeah. Voodoo Donuts once. There's one now here in Los Angeles. It's at Universal. And Universal's, okay. like, Universal shops just all reopened, so we could go, you know, the park's not open, but we could go get Voodoo Donuts now. So I'll have to see if they have that. What's the name of that donut, Jim? <laughs> uh, the Cock and Balls. Oh, it actually is called that. Oh, I, I'm wondering if they even have that at the Universal location. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, I, I know at the two Portland locations, you can get, like, a whole bridal, bride, uh, bridal shower package oh, okay it includes like a sash and like however many donuts you want oh, okay <laughs> i just have a funny feeling now that like yeah of course the original locations in portland would have it but i'm like i don't know the corporate like universal studios location might just not have that <laughs> donut 
we'll find out. Entirely possible. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess I was getting into uh, letting everyone know sort of how you got into Reliant K. And then I believe you've been listening since pretty Jessica's sneezing in the background. She, <laughs> I don't know if that picture just... right. She's still getting ready for the day. She'll come by and say hi in a minute. April's walking around underneath me. So you were listening to since pretty early on, like your brother told you about us, right? Like he found out about our show and then he told you about it, right? Or is that how it happened? Um, no, I think... Or is it the other way around? <laughs> no, so I... I think I saw you guys on uh, Twitter. Okay. Uh, commented on one of Tyson's uh, Twitter posts. Okay. And then I started following you guys, and I told Tim about it. Then okay. Tim was the first one to listen. I see. And then the first episode I listened to, um, uh, it was uh, it was one of, it was the episode where you featured his video with uh, my niece and nephew. Oh, okay. Right. And then I Don't started blink, listening I to you guys. Gotcha. Okay. Yes. Yes, it was. Don't blink. I was yeah. thinking Boomerang was like, no, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. That was still early. That was still when um, we were doing the first yeah. tracks on each album. So. So I think I started listening to you guys uh, September or October. Okay. And I was working in a solar field. So I was basically just by myself, like flipping uh, solar panels together. For, okay. Like, 60 hours a week. So I just listened through your entire catalog and you guys were probably 20s or 30s at that point so okay. i just blew through you guys in like two or three weeks oh nice <laughs> cool so how did you become a reliant k fan what's your background there so i have an older sister she's like five years older than me uh-huh. so like when she was in like middle school early high school i was like nine or ten so in 2000 you got a um burnt copy of the self-titled album and i loved it oh cool so i've been i've been into them since like the very beginning and that was like a formative moment in um sort of like my musical evolution without my dad's influence gotcha cool um so then getting to this song that we're doing this week, how did you, so if you've been listening to them from pretty much the beginning, then I assume maybe you discovered Deathbed when it came out, like when Five Score came out? So yeah, Five Score was my favorite album from the time it was released. I was like 14 or 15. It was Uh 2005 or 2006. I think it was 2007. 2007. Okay, so I was 16 when Five Score came out. Mm-hmm. And I was sort of just coming into my own uh, sort of uh, romantically. Like, that's when I started, like, taking, like, uh, dating women seriously. Um, uh-huh. And I just sort of fell in love with it because uh, so much of it revolved around his um, relationship with the uh, woman he was uh, met, was uh, engaged to. Uh-huh. And it was just sort of, like, for the most part, a celebration of love. And I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, I never I like I appreciated the musicality of Deathbed. It was like this, you know, sort of epic uh, multi-movement song that I loved mm-hmm. as a musical lover. But I didn't really sort of grok it until you know, my mid twenties when I was sort of floundering with apathy mm-hmm. and questioning my faith. And that sort of like I got it finally. It was just like you know, there's this dark path 
that was available to me that sort of mirrored the uh, journey of the uh, subject of deathbed. Mm -hmm. And whenever I'd listen to it, I'd think it was like, I could, my life could be awful if I don't, uh, I'm not vigilant with the decisions I'm making, how I'm living my life. Um, and I was, I, I mean, I'm still in this phase where I'm struggling with church and church culture more specifically. Mm -hmm. um, but sort of the, uh, the last movement where he's, he's dead mm -hmm. and he meets Jesus, um, it's really healing and settling. Like even when I was a kid and I was very, I guess, on fire, mm -hmm. um, I always had a lot of death anxiety. Right. Sort of like the concept of eternity. Well, that's exactly what Jessica's ending. is. <laughs> I like, um, I don't know. As like someone who grew up with the idea of eternity, mm -hmm. oblivion is terrifying. Right. But even when I think about eternity and like heaven, I get really, really uncomfortable. Right. Um, so the last movement of deathbed has has always sort of um, assuaged my fear in that aspect. Okay. That's interesting because that's like, you know, that's the whole problem with why one of the reasons why Jessica doesn't really like the song is because she feels the exact same way about those concepts. Like she has a lot of anxiety around the same concepts. So she does, she hasn't, at least she hasn't found, <laughs> I'm speaking for her, even though she's right over there. She hasn't found comfort from this song for those particular things. We were watching like a horror movie last night because it's October. And it, it was like a, it was basically like a, it was a small independent movie from the seventies. It wasn't like, it's not a well-known movie at all. It's called, uh, it's just called The Bride, but it's also called The Last House on Massacre Street, which is like a way over the, this, this ties in, don't worry. It really does. But it, it's like, yeah, there's no Massacre Street. There's not even a street. The house is like in the middle of the woods. There's not even a massacre. There's not a massacre. There's one guy. It's it's basically like a morality tale, like like an old, like almost like a um, like a tales from the crypt because it's about a guy who marries a woman. It's a really simple story. It's from the '70s. It's only like 70 minutes long, and it's like he marries a woman. He cheats with her, cheats on her immediately, like at their wedding reception. She goes crazy and disappears. Then he and his girlfriend are being like haunted are being like stalked by her or haunted by her. Like you don't know what's going on. And I'm spoiling the movie. Cause like, it's not a well, it's like a real, it's not even available on physical media, but eventually it turns out that as soon as the, the bride left the wedding, she immediately killed herself. And it's been the dad doing all this like stuff to get back at him. Like pretending, is it a ghost is a stalker, right? That's the setup. The last 10 minutes of the movie the guy like wakes up and he's like, it was the dad the whole time. I can't believe it. And then he sees his wife and you don't know, you think maybe it was all a hoax and his wife is there and he's like, Oh, it was all a sham. You were tricking me. And she's like, no, look. And she points down at the ground and they're both dead there. So like now he's got to live with his wife who he scorned on their wedding night for the rest of eternity and she's like cackling at him and laughing at him and she's like we've got eternity to get to know each other <laughs> and I'm like this movie's great this is amazing what a, what a fun ending and Jessica's like I don't like this I don't like this I don't like <laughs> this eternity stuff 
I'm with, I'm, I'm with Jess on that one. <laughs> it's like, no. it's supposed to be his comeuppance. It's supposed to be like, it's like a morality tale. Like, look at this bad guy and this I is what he gets. She stuck with him, to be honest. But that's what she wanted because she wanted to marry him. Whatever. <laughs> I know it took a long way to get there, but I'm just saying like, even like this like like dumb 70s horror movie like really simple horror movie like it had an eternity concept in it and Jessica's immediately like nope not comfortable not comfortable it's just like people in a house like you I'm watching the movie and I'm like this is literally people in the 70s in a house like wearing death makeup pretending that they're dead and like it looks so fake and Jessica's like nope nope don't like it so anyway, point is, sorry, long way to get there, but um, that, yeah, Jessica has not found the same kind of solace in this song that you've obviously found from that last part of the song. Yeah. So it's interesting. Yeah, well, probably the thing that helps me the most is I, music helps me feel things vicariously. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, yeah. Interesting. I mean, I brought this, I think I brought this up with every call I've had, but thinking on that, um, that like music helps you live things vicariously. One interview I found, I haven't done the full deep dive for this song yet, but as much as I've done, I saw a thing where Tyson, it's a YouTube interview and Tyson talks about how like the, the first threads of this idea actually started with him writing a song about himself dying but that was like too much. It was like too direct. Like he didn't feel comfortable doing it that way. And that's kind of where he started coming up with this character and this whole story. And like, I mean, it sounds like he didn't expound on that. And I don't know exactly what that means. Like I doubt it would have been an 11 minute song about the history of his life if it had been that, but it sounds like it was maybe going to be a simpler song, just directly talking about his own death. And so like what more vicarious things like that he's, what more vicarious thing would there be than the actual singer singing from his point of view on something? But it was like, I guess thinking about it myself is like, that's a little too speculative, right? So you kind of make up a fictional character because then you can at least like have that level of disconnect when you're writing it. And even when you're listening to it. Well, my head canon has always been that Eason started with himself as the main character okay? because he's, well, I mean, he, he has a lot of, uh, songs sort of like calling himself out on his own apathy in life. I mean, starting with like Wake Up Call on right. the self-titled album. Um, so I, as that, that's always been my head canon, And I sort of like, in my darker moments um, in the past decade, I've sort of put myself in there too. Yeah. Yeah, I, that's something I didn't think about is like, I wonder if a lot of people see themselves in this character. That, I'm just thinking of that for the first time now and I wish I'd <laughs> asked other people I talked to, but yeah, I wonder if anyone sees themselves in this, in the deathbed character at all. Like maybe not from beginning to end, maybe not like the details of like, you know, the, the period set of when the story takes place or any of that. But I wonder who, who like sees themselves as this character when they listen to the song. Like, it sounds like you you connect to sort of, like, the themes overall, but it, not that you maybe connect to the him bowling all night or whatever, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, and that's, honestly, and that's my favorite um, moment of peace and wit, the, uh, when the marriage takes a 7-10 split. Right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
Um, you want to say hi? Yeah. Okay. Some water. Sure. <laughs> That's a Hello. good pause. <laughs> hi, Jess. Hi. I'm like listening. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> How are you? Oh my gosh. Now I know why Danny said traitor. I see yeah. your shirt now. <laughs> <laughs> and he's using a magnified pod mug. Oh my gosh. I did the coloring for all of those things. I didn't draw them, but I colorized all of them. Oh, I, I love their uh, second season, uh, the colors especially. Um, yeah. So good job, Danny. Thank you. <laughs> um, so do you have any other, like, uh, do you have any deeper meanings or, like, uh, theories or thoughts on maybe different lines or, like, funny connections or any other headcanon around this song that you've ever wanted to tell people about? Um. Not really. I, I mean, I love uh, the John Foreman portion. Mm -hmm. It's like the most uh, most healing part. Um, I love I love John's uh, lyrics in general. Just mm -hmm. um, his uh, like he has a way of sort of I don't know like if he helped decent out on the uh, second half. Mm -hmm. I could definitely see his influence if he did. Mm -hmm. um, but he just sort of has a way of um humanizing the christian uh life mm -hmm. and especially sort of spiritual connections um and uh switchfoot's always been a band that i've like from like uh high school through i didn't really there's about a six-year period where i sort of didn't pay attention to uh reliant k mm -hmm. probably from like 2009 to like 2014-15 um but I've I always followed Switchfoot just because I always um, glommed on to John's uh, lyrics. Mm -hmm. And the uh, final portion of the song where John comes in as Jesus, I always found just so, um, that's, that's like the beautiful healing portion mm -hmm. of the song for me, mm -hmm. where Jesus is like, you know, accepting him in and... Um, the theology of it, I don't know where I stand because I don't really have a theology right now. That's something I've been working through mm -hmm. the past two or three years. Um, but just sort of the the acceptance and welcoming and forgiveness, like can like just like completely break me down sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um... I, I I don't think so. Obviously, Jessica like doesn't listen. She doesn't like to listen to this song. And then me, I listen to this song, and it doesn't. It hasn't ever gotten to me on any deeper level like you're talking about. <laughs> like it kind of washes over me, and I'm like, oh, this is nice. And you know, oh, he's you know, like I listen to the story and stuff. But yeah, I've never like let it. I, I guess that's my next assignment too. Before we do our portion of the episode, is to actually like sit there and quietly contemplate the song a little bit better. Cause like, I just, you know, cause one, one thing for me and I've talked about this other people is like basically, and we talked about it on the show, but like the second half of five score, I never really got to when it came out, you know, because like we didn't buy this. We talked about it on the show, but like uh, I, I didn't, but this is the first album I didn't buy when it came out. Like I think I downloaded it on like illegally or something, or maybe I got on iTunes or something, but I definitely only had this in MP3s and I, it was just one of those albums, like, sometimes you have an album that you don't get past the second half. You're like, oh, all these first songs are great. 
and he's going to kind of get stuck on those. So for instance, we don't know up and up. I know it much better now, but like when we think of up and up, we'd think of the acoustic version because burden B sides is this album we listen to from beginning to end all the time, but I would never mm-hmm. listen to five score from beginning to end. Maybe like once when I first got it and I was like, what's this long song at the end? You know, I just kind of skipped it. And so it wasn't really until like the last couple of years, like around the time of air for free, I like gave this song much time at all. So it was like, I only had a very surface level understanding of it. And I still really only do have a surface level understanding of it today. But like over the last couple of years, I've been listening to it more. So I like hearing that about um, your reaction to it sort of spiritually and stuff like that. Cause now it makes me realize that's something I need to really get. Cause I've been more focused on like, what are the metaphors and what are like the secret, what are the Easter eggs and the lyrics and like things that tie patterns and things that tie into other things but now I'm like well now I need to really focus on like what does this mean to me spiritually because I think we have similar we talked about we barely talked about it but we have similar thoughts theologically I don't think I give it a lot of thought <laughs> but like because it was on magnified pod right the where they said um uh what's it called it's in your bio it's in your twitter bio agnostic, An agnostic theist right and I was like oh that's what I am <laughs> but I'm also like yeah it's not an apathy thing. It's more of like a lackadaisical thing. It's like, I don't work on my theology much. Cause I'm like, eh, there's a God. I'm good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. real lazy. goes back to the Jessica's laughing at me, but it goes back to the same thing we talked about with Nancy drew, where I was like, I don't really like mysteries. Cause like, I don't care. I'm like, it's the answer is one of those answers. <laughs> I don't need to know which one it is. Best way to describe you. <laughs> Did you hear? Her? She said lackadaisical is the best way to describe me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes I wish I could be more lackadaisical, but like I just want to, I want to know. Right. Like I want to know everything. Um, so, um, and that's sort of like what brought me back to calling myself. Um, if not a Christian, at least a theist, because I just sort of like gave up on it all for a couple of years. I was just tired Mm -hmm. of like hypocrisy and the self-service. Right. But then I realized like I'm missing something in my life. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I never actually gave up on God, but I sort of just ignored him because of everyone I associated with God mm-hmm. um but I don't know it's, yeah and and deathbed has definitely one of the songs that sort of like kept kept me tethered mm-hmm. um so I'm still still on that journey okay. right now cool well that's really nice that's great yes. to hear. yeah um did you have i think i feel like that's a good point <laughs> to leave it did you have anything else to mention or no no that's everything okay uh did you have anything to plug <laughs> no no i have nothing to pl- plug unfortunately okay. i'm not a creative <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh thanks Bye.